Welcome to Album Divers. This is a podcast created by two music lovers who still remember listening to albums from start to finish the way the artists intended. We give history, track-by-track analysis, and delve into the music lyrics of some of the best albums of the past and today. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Welcome to Album Divers. I'm Shane. And I'm Trevor. On this podcast, we discuss two albums per month. One of us chooses a new album from this calendar year, and the other chooses an album that's been around a while. That's right. What album did you pick this time, Shane? Today we're going to be checking out an album from Jason Isbell titled Something More Than Free, released in 2015. excited to start talking about this album it's definitely one of my favorites from one of my favorite artists and i've had a blast listening to this over and over and really dissecting it the past few weeks me too i am so glad you picked this album for our last one it was one neither of us familiar with and this is an album that i knew pretty well but i've really enjoyed digging in it was really fun to have one that we were both excited about from the get-go and i think we've both become even more excited about as we've digested it. Yeah, I've been following him for a little while now. I had a coworker when I was living and working out in North Carolina introduce me to him probably six, seven years ago now. And I've listened to him quite a bit, but I haven't gone through his whole discography and really focused in on, on the album like we did this last few weeks here. So I learned a lot. I became an even bigger fan. And I'm so glad that I was turned on to listen to this guy back in the day. I think he's one of the best songwriters of this era and possibly of all time. He really is. He, I knew it before digesting this album even more like we did these last couple of weeks, but he's quite a writer. It's, it's been really fun, and, and it's been fun to follow some of the little Easter eggs in some of these songs. There's things that I mm-hmm. learned about some of these songs that made me think of them in a different light as we listened to them. Yeah, he's really got a way of connecting with people, with his, his listeners. I mean, some of the songs, I'm sure, are personal and specific to his life, but he has a way with choosing the right words that will speak to just about anybody and get a lot of people engaged with the music. Before we jump right into the album, I would be amiss not to comment on something, Shane, that I'm a little overdue to ask you about, but sure. I have to say, your new haircut's looking pretty awesome over there. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, man. How many inches did you cut off of your hair? Well, I was able to cut off 20-inch braids and donate them to wigs for kids. I don't think they cut up as high as they were supposed to. Otherwise, it might have been close to two feet. But nonetheless, it was very freeing to (laughs) (laughs) get rid of that hair, make life a little bit easier, and, and also rewarding 
to be able to pass that on to an organization that makes wigs for children in need and know that it's going to a good home. Good for you. What's what's next? You gonna grow it out and do it again? I think someday, but I'm yeah. gonna enjoy the the crew cut uh, for now and my two minute showers, <laughs> <laughs> which sure beats the long hair. Man, it was a lot of work. I regret not taking a photo with you when we were living in the same area with my long hair for this podcast. So it looked like I was a hippie music guy from the past. That would have been kind of cool. That's right. You've, you've now lost all respect. So I know. Gonna, I don't yeah. quite look the part anymore. Hey, I wanted to mention something too that I thought was kind of cool as I was reflecting on our pick of Jason Isbell this time around. I don't know if you remember, but I reached out to you on Facebook probably a year or two ago now when I saw that you posted you were going to the Father John Misty with Jason Isbell concert and that I wanted to go with you if if I was back out in the Bay Area and, and free to go. And that's that's when we started talking a little bit more. I know it had been a while. We started chatting a little bit more. And then from there, I think you got the idea uh, for this podcast. And we had probably talked about music along the way somewhere. And you asked if I wanted to be your co-host. So in a way, our mutual interest in Jason Isbell may have led to this podcast. I completely forgot about that. I remember that conversation initially, and I certainly remember the concert, which we'll have to talk about at some point here. Yeah. But, I, but yeah, that's really true. I, now that you mentioned it, I remember we did start, I did start thinking about and talking about this podcast around that time. I wish I could have gone to that concert with you. I bet that was a blast. I wish you could have too. You would have loved it. Both artists were really, really good. Yeah. I, I looked back at our uh, Facebook message conversation because I was curious and I was thinking that this probably coincided with the time period that we started brainstorming this podcast. And I couldn't remember why I wasn't able to go, but then I saw it was because I had a broken toe. <laughs> Do you remember that? All of this stuff is coming back to me now. I had forgotten that too. Yeah. I forgot how you yeah, broke yeah. your toe. Yeah. So I think that happened a few days before we were supposed to go to the concert or maybe the weekend before. And I hadn't got it x-rayed yet and didn't know for sure that it was broken, but I had a pretty good hunch that it was and figured I shouldn't be jumping around at a concert. So that that was my excuse for not getting to go, but I wish I would have toughed it out and been there because he's one of the guys that I would really love to see someday and never have. Basically what you're telling me is your, your physical therapist self overrid your passionate music lover self and decided that jumping on a broken toe wasn't a, wasn't a good idea. <laughs> yeah, that or I let the adult in me suppress the, the uh, child or wild kid that would want to go and not uh, pay attention to the, the toe injury. But there'll be another opportunity, I'm sure. I got him on my radar. I'm always checking his tour and seeing when he's going to be uh, somewhere nearby. So I'll get to see him someday. So the other thing about jumping into this is I knew his music. I didn't know much about his background, and I've I learned a little bit more from reading, but I know you've dug a little bit deeper on that. You want to tell our listeners a little bit about Jason Isbell and where he came from? Yeah, definitely. Let's get into his history a bit and, and talk about his musical career before we dive into the album. Jason Isbell was born in rural Alabama in a town called Green Hill. His grandfather and uncle taught him how to play various instruments and exposed him to music as a kid. He mentions that he would oftentimes go spend the days with his grandparents basically as child care providers when his folks were busy working or off doing other sorts of things. And it was the grandfather and uncle who really exposed him to music and who he attributes to developing his passion and sending him down the path that he did follow. 
his first instrument was the mandolin, which he started playing when he was six years old. Uh, they had told him that it was the easiest to grip for a child with smaller hands and that he'd be able to pick it up a little easier. He soon graduated to the guitar, and that's where he fell in love and developed his real passion for music. He attributes a lot of his inspirations to gospel music, bluegrass, and the Grand Ole Opry. It's kind of cool. He said his family would get together at least once a week, sometimes two or three times a week, and they would just play music. He really enjoyed that. Those are some of the fondest memories from his childhood. His grandfather was also a Pentecostal preacher, and he played guitar in the church. So he used to attend to watch his grandfather play all the time. And so he picked up on some of the musical inspirations and background from that church. He also went to a stricter Church of Christ through some other family connections, and they permitted only singing and no musical instruments. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so he kind of had that dynamic between a bigger band-type uh, setting with the music in the one church and then only vocals in the other one. So I yeah. wonder if that somehow helped him appreciate the the songwriting and the words, the lyrics, while also being drawn to the band and all the instruments. Yeah, when I was reading that, I thought of how they've got the musical part with the family and then the maybe the performer part a little bit with the preacher part. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, being up in front of an audience and putting on a show like his grandfather used to do. So when he was 14, he started a garage band and a country cover band with his friend, Chris Tompkins, who is now a famous songwriter. He's written for Hank Williams, Jimmy Buffett, Rascal Flatts, Tim McGraw, Kenny Chesney, Daughtry, and even the Plain White Tees. So obviously he had some really good connections growing up in a, a, a musically gifted area with his family and friends. Yeah. So the two of them got to play at the Grand Ole Opry at age 16. He went on to attend college at the University of Memphis, where I find this really fascinating too. He studied English and creative writing. Oh. Yeah, so not only did he have that background and experience singing songs and hanging out with his family growing up, he also studied it in college, and I'm sure that included some poetry and gave him skills on, on rhyming words and writing stories and putting things down on paper, which I'm sure translates to his abilities to write songs and has a lot to do with him being such a good performer. Yeah. Most people would characterize his music as Americana, which is more of a general term, talking about a lot of the roots music that uh, came out of this country, but also Southern rock, alternative country, folk would probably describe his music. But he's stated before on a couple interviews that I've seen that he doesn't really like being defined or, or uh, categorized by a certain genre and has said often that it's really hard to place music in a certain category nowadays. Everything blends together and he doesn't really worry too much about what kind of song he's writing and where it fits, but just that it sounds cool and, and that it's something people are going to want to listen to. Yeah, and it really seems to ring true with when you listen to his music and, and how it's had some crossover appeal. I know he was pegged, like you said, as an Americana or even more on the countryside. And both how he writes and some of his influences, and then even some of his political persuasion, um, mm -hmm. maybe not doesn't fit the mold of some of his peers. And he's been able to branch off into other genres and, and get some credit from a bigger audience that way. Definitely. So he's been making music 
for quite a while now, probably over 20 years at this point. He's most famous for his solo career and his work with his band, The 400 Unit, primarily musicians from Muscle Shoals, Alabama area. But he also was a member of Drive-By Truckers from 2001 to 2007. Yep. There's kind of an interesting story behind that. David Hood, father of Drive-By Truckers co-founder Patterson Hood, was living in the Florence, Alabama area, and he played around town a lot at local restaurants and bars. And Jason would attend and go listen to them. And he said he always wanted to approach them and ask if he could join or get involved somehow, but he he was kind of shy and didn't take the initiative to do it. But one day he decided to go up to David and some of the others that played and let them know that he also played. And they slowly kind of took him under their wing and he started to play and and, uh, get into the scene a little bit. And then he ended up meeting Patterson through a mutual friend and they needed somebody to join their band and and, uh, play guitar kind of at the last minute uh, before they were about to go on tour and he was fortunate enough to fall into that role and obviously fit well with them and was able to put out albums and tour with them on the road for about six years contributed to three different albums before their split in 2007. Were you familiar with any drive-by truckers music prior to that? I I really haven't listened to the drive-by truckers too much. Uh, I went back in this process of preparing to talk about Jason Isbell and listen to some of their songs, especially the ones that, that Jason wrote and, and took lead on. And uh, I really uh, like like their sound. They have some good stuff out there. I think you'd like them. You'll have to check it out. Yeah, I'll have to explore their stuff a little bit more. I know from the interviews that I've watched, Jason is very proud of the time that he spent with them and appreciative of all the opportunities and music that they put out together. But As I mentioned, they did split in 2007. They went different ways, and that's when Jason began his solo career and his work with the 400 unit. He mentions that a lot of his musical influences come from northern Alabama uh, roots music. In an interview with Flagpole magazine, Isbell stated, I definitely don't feel like I would be the musician that I am or the type of songwriter had I not come from that particular place. He goes on to say, the soul music that came out of there and a lot of the soul influence rock and roll and country music that came out of the studios in North Alabama in the 60s and 70s had a really big influence on me. He also attributes some of his inspiration to Neil Young and Bob Dylan. Yeah, I can hear that for sure. Yeah. So clearly a, a good variety of inspirations and exposure to music, a very diverse background that sheds light or help, helps explain how he got to be uh, who he is and where he is today. Yeah. And when you listen to his lyrics, he's been at it a long time, but man, he, he sounds older than a 40-year-old in terms of the things that he's writing about and the experiences that he's had. Mm-hmm. And I think he's in a lot of ways, he's he's lived more than 40 years when it comes through all the... You'll, I'm sure you'll get into talking about the, his addiction and... Yeah, yeah, he's definitely gone through a, a transformation with the direction his life is taking. As as you mentioned, he, he, he did struggle with addiction through his 20s while he was on the road touring a lot. But he is very proud that today he is clean and sober and on a different path. He has a, a child now who was born... Right about the time of this album, we'll get into that. I think his child is four years old now, 
his daughter, and she's on the road with him sometimes too, so I'm sure that uh, helps keep him focused and committed to the, to the music. So, speaking of his, his personal life, it's worth noting that he was, for a brief time, married to Shauna Tucker, who was a former bass player for the Drive-By Truckers. They never had any children, but they were together for a while. Then in February of 2012, Amanda Shires, Isbell's manager Tracy Thompson, and Ryan Adams all initiated an intervention for Isbell's alcohol and cocaine problem that uh, we alluded to there, which ultimately led to him entering a rehabilitation treatment program in Nashville, and he came out clean and sober. It was a success and has never looked back. That, I imagine, is what, what grew his connection with Amanda Shires, although they had worked together in the past and, and knew each other. But in February of 2013, he and her got married, which was two days after they finished the album Southeastern, Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they worked together on and off for a long time, I think about 10 years prior to releasing that album. But it seems like from reading that she slowly became more and more a part of his life and they developed feelings for each other. That album, Southeastern, was Isbell's first album released after being sober. He's talked extensively about his sobriety and and being a better man uh, today because of it. But you can definitely hear in a lot of his songs that he still hangs on to some of the past and that it's it's a a part of him. He's mentioned that he wouldn't necessarily want to change anything about the past because it has made him the the person he is today, and he's happy with who that person has become. But clearly there were were some dark times, some challenging times that he went through uh, in his early days as a musician. As I mentioned, Isbell split from the Drive-By Truckers in 2007, That's also the year that he released his first studio album, titled Sirens of the Ditch. He released another album in 2009, titled Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit. And in 2011, he introduced an album titled Here We Rest. The album we mentioned, Southeastern, came out in 2013. That was really his breakout album. It peaked at number 23 on the U.S. Billboard's. In 2015, he released the album that we're reviewing today, Something More Than Free. It peaked at number one on U.S. country, folk, and rock charts and made it all the way to number six overall on the U.S. billboards. His latest album, The Nashville Sound, was released in 2017. It also peaked at number one on U.S. country, folk, and rock charts and made it up to number four on the U.S. billboards. Yeah. And he has mentioned that he is due to have an album out this year in 2020. I'm really excited for that to come out. He also has a few live albums, one released in 2008 titled Live at Twist and Shout, Live from Alabama in 2012, Live from Welcome to 1979 in 2017, and one of my personal favorites, Live from the Ryman, released in 2018. The Ryman in Nashville is known as one of the best places to play music, to have concerts. The acoustics in there are incredible. I was fortunate to get to tour that and even see backstage where some of the artists hang out when I was coming back home from the time I spent in North Carolina back to Iowa, stopped in Nashville for a night with my dad, and we were able to roam around and really get a feel for the the Nashville sound, the music, the country, the folk, and before we left, we decided to go check out the Ryman. It's, it's an amazing place, and uh, this album that he put out has a lot of his best hits on there. 
and it's a really clean sounding album it's, it's definitely worth uh, checking out i'll have to check that out i've got one of his live albums on vinyl and honestly at this moment i can't remember which one it is but it's not that one so. oh wow awesome yeah, that's cool. So I mentioned he has been gaining some attention over the years. It seems like every album has done better and better than the last in terms of awards and recognition. At the 2014 Americana Music Awards, he won the award for Artist of the Year, Album of the Year with Southeastern, and Song of the Year, Traveling Alone. In 2016, at the Americana Music Awards, this album we're reviewing today, Something More Than Free, one album of the year, and a song from this album, 24 Frames, one song of the year. In 2018, again at the Americana Music Awards, his album, The Nashville Sound, one album of the year, the song, If We Were Vampires, one song of the year, and he and the 400 unit, one duo group of the year. Jason Isbell's also had some success at the Grammys. In 2016, his song 24 Frames won Best American Roots song, and the album Something More Than Free was awarded with the Best Americana album. Again, in 2018, his song If We Were Vampires won Best American Roots song, and the album The Nashville Sound won Best Americana album. Do you have an album that's your favorite? My entry point was a song on this album but I listened to it out of context. It was in a, a mix that I was listening to, and I'll, I'll talk about that as we get through the track by track. Mm-hmm. But my entry point from an album standpoint was his latest one, The Nashville Sound. And I thought that one was my favorite because those are the songs that I was the most familiar with. Mm-hmm. When you suggested we would do this album for the podcast, I knew a few of the songs pretty well. And of course, now that we've dug deeper into it, I wonder if this one might become my favorite. That's what is fun about what we're doing is getting familiarity with the song and really understanding what he was thinking when he wrote it gives you a new mm-hmm. appreciation for the album as a whole. And at this moment, I'm going to say this one is my favorite. Although when I look back at what some of his fans think is his greatest work, Southeastern seems to be the one that people talk about the most. So now I kind of want to go back and listen to that one more front to back. I again know certain select songs really well, but I haven't absorbed that album like I had the Nashville sound. So that's probably what I'll do next. But at this moment, I think this is my favorite one because it's the one I know the best. <laughs> yeah, I would I would have to say that for me, it's a toss-up between Something More Than Free and Southeastern. I think they're both complete albums from track one till the end. And I, I really like like the construction and the messages and, and the music that, that's on, on all of those songs from cover to cover. But if I were to put together my favorite uh, Jason Isbell songs, there'd probably be a few off of Nashville Sound and, and a lot from the two albums that we mentioned as being up there as our favorite. And then and then probably a couple from his older albums, too. I, I think he's really grown as a musician. All of his music is great. But if you listen to some of the original albums that he put out, they maybe weren't quite as clean or polished or had as as deep of lyrics or, or as meaningful or attention grabbing. Um, that's not to say that they weren't great albums in and of themselves. When you're when you're comparing them to albums like Something More Than Free that we're reviewing today, I feel like it's in a league of its own. It's it's a uh, very top notch and uh, hard to compete with something like this album. Did you know that he wrote a song for the soundtrack to that movie, A Star is Born? 
Yeah, yeah, I did. In fact, he mentioned it in one of the live shows that I was that I was watching. He he talks about writing that song for Bradley Cooper to sing in the movie. That's what I was going to bring up, actually. I, I don't know that I ever told you this, but it sounds like maybe you've heard the story in mm-hmm. listening to the live albums. But when I saw him in the show, he, he shared this story about how he had sent this song off that Bradley Cooper was going to sing in the movie. Yeah. And Bradley Cooper had gone into the studio and recorded it, and then he sent it back to... Jason Isbell to say, hey, what do you think about this? Mm. And Jason Isbell got the text and said, yeah, cool, I'll check it out. And it was right before he was going to get on a plane. And so he didn't have the ability to listen to it in that moment. And Bradley Cooper didn't know that. And so like half a day goes by. And then finally, Bradley Cooper gets a text back from Jason Isbell says, yeah, yeah, it sounds pretty good. And unbeknownst to him, this entire time, Bradley Cooper is just like, sweating and freaking out and just thinking, oh man, Jason Isbell doesn't like it. I haven't done it justice. He doesn't know how to tell me. And so Jason Isbell was laughing on stage saying, I made the handsome Bradley Cooper cry and freak out for hours. He was feeling bad about that. So when you were at the show seeing Isbell, did he happen to mention anything about Lady Gaga? He did. I'm not going to get the story exactly right, but he was, I think what he said is, He's at home doing some mundane task, like feeding his daughter in the kitchen, and then mm-hmm. he gets a call, and it says, Hi, Jason Isbell there. This is Stephanie. It was actually Lady Gaga, referring to herself by, by her actual name, Stephanie, and was asking him if he wanted to contribute a, the lyrics or a, some music to one of the songs on that film, A Star Is Born. Yeah, I... I think I think I remember when I was watching a, a live concert on YouTube of his that he was talking about his experience writing a song for for A Star Is Born and talking to Lady Gaga and hearing that her name was Stephanie and I could be wrong but I want to say that he said something to the effect that he he couldn't wait for the time that he actually would get to meet her in person and go up to her and just say something casual like Hey Stephanie how's it going and <laughs> see her response since <laughs> she's not used to getting that probably out in public. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think we did a fairly good job covering the background and history of Jason Isbell and his musical career. Let's get into the album. But before we do that, I wanted to quote something that I heard from an interview that Jason was doing with uh, a, a, a friend of his, uh, George Saunders, who's a writer on GQ style, because I think it really relates to what we're trying to do with this podcast and it's it's very fitting for the conversations we've had together so so in that conversation george says the the people i know who love your music they really love it i mean it's not just like i really like his songs but those songs really speak to them in a deep way do you feel that and jason replied yeah i do i'm very grateful for that And I feel like that's because I didn't set out to make music that was to be consumed while you were doing something else. I really try very hard to make music that is supposed to be listened to while you are listening to music. Maybe you're driving a car, maybe you're jogging, but you're not socializing with anything other than the song. And uh, I really connected to that part because I think that's what we're trying to do with Album Divers dive into the music and really focus on that, block out other distractions and have that be the, the sole activity that we're engaging in at that period of time. And, and that's what Jason's saying his intention is with the, the music that he puts out there, that people really are going to fully consume it and not just have it playing in the background. 
That's really cool. I'm glad you took the time to read that because you're absolutely right. That fits right in with what we're doing with this podcast. And it's timely and it's funny that you mentioned that. I've, as we're getting this podcast off the ground, I've told a limited number of people what we're doing. And I, I sent a little screenshot of the album cover of Something More Than Free to my dad this week and just said, hey, I'm doing this podcast. I'll let you hear it at some point. But in the meantime, check out this album. And I didn't know whether or not he would. And after a few days, he texted me back and he said, I've been listening to this album over and over again nonstop and consuming it like I haven't for a long time. Just getting into the words, it's really speaking to me. And he said, it's reminding me of when I used to enjoy doing that when I was younger, listening to albums. And I just thought, that's so cool. I'm, we're already inspiring other people to do this. And it's cool that that was Jason's intent. So cool quote. Mm-hmm. So let's dive into this album, Something More Than Free. As I mentioned earlier, it was released in 2015. It's Isbell's fifth studio album. It was produced by David Cobb at Nashville's Sound Emporium Studio with a full band, the 400 unit. Yeah, and David Cobb's produced a couple other significant artists. John Prine is a big influence, I know, on Jason Isbell and somebody that they've drawn comparison to. And then another really relevant crossover country Americana artist, Sturgill Simpson, that's producing oh, or that's yeah. releasing a lot of I've music right Sturgill. now yeah he's pretty he's good he's also produced by david cobb so pretty much everything david cobb's touches has turned to gold he's a great producer yeah definitely all right well you're ready to get into the track by track analysis let's do it okay so track one is titled if it takes a lifetime never cared for wine or beer working for the county keeps me great way to start the album this this song speaks volumes to growing up learning and living and uh really going through the process of of life and work and uh, everything along with it yeah i like just the picture it paints of kind of a blue collar worker somebody that's going through the day to day and and the daily um, grind the daily grind it, it paints a picture of what that life might be like mm-hmm some of the lyrics that resonated with me, the fight the urge to live inside my telephone, yeah, reminds yeah. me a little bit of the sentiment of of today and, and mm-hmm. why we're interested in the process of slowing down and listening to music because I think we yeah. all fall privy to that sometimes. Yeah, people get wrapped up in their phone on Facebook, social media. You know, it's important to step away from that, get back to the simple realities of life and what we're doing here. Outside of the wisdom of some of these lyrics, I, I have to say my favorite line is still working for the county keeps me pissing clear. Yeah. <laughs> Just because it paints so much of a picture, it draws back a little bit to his battle with alcoholism mm-hmm. where he's saying, um, I keep those temptations away from me and, 
and a little structure in my life keeps me from keeps it from creeping back in. I know a lot of these songs are autobiographical. I I don't know if this one is completely, but it it reminded mm-hmm. me of him and what he's gone through. And then I just thought it, it could just easily say something like having structure in my life keeps me straight, but working for the county keeps me pissing clear is just such a better way to say that. And that that stands out as my my favorite line mm-hmm. on the song. Yeah, it's it's hard to know if he's talking about him himself or possibly a story that he was exposed to through someone else. I did hear in an interview that one of his biggest pet peeves is when people assume that he's the main character in all of his songs. He's also said that to be a good songwriter, you really have to pay attention. You got to see the things that other people don't see when you're out and about in the world, in the community. And he talks about how he attributes a lot of his songwriting abilities to his ability to observe and to to see the details or find connections of life and human interaction. And he finds a way to weave that into his song so that the lyrics will speak to a lot of people, that maybe they're based on one specific story from his life or somebody else's, but that they also have a generic message that's digestible and can be meaningful to almost everybody. Really true. And We've talked about it before, but I really like the artists that don't completely spell everything out for you. I mentioned mm-hmm. in our intro that probably my introduction to listening to lyrics and listening for a story was driving around in Yakima, Washington, listening to country music. And although as a young child, it was easy for me to become engaged in those lyrics, they do, the mainstream country music really does kind of spell it out for you. Mm-hmm. And Jason Isbell, with his crossover appeal and, and his skill at songwriting, he, he doesn't quite do that, which is perfect because it allows you to get a feel for what he's talking about. You make maybe some inferences about whether it's about him specifically or the greater picture, but you can also insert some of your own feelings and your own experiences into it. And and what it means grows exponentially with everybody that hears this music, which I think is a really cool gift as a writer. Mm-hmm. There was one part of the song that, that really spoke to me that, that I, I can connect with well. It it says, I got too far from my raising, I forgot where I come from, and the line between right and wrong was so fine. Well, I thought the highway loved me, but she beat me like a drum. My day will come if it takes a lifetime. And for me, that that's talking about somebody hitting the road, maybe they're leaving for a job, or if we think about this in his case, it's probably going on tour yeah that's what i was thinking playing with the band Mm -hmm. but it could be anybody leaving where they came from leaving their their roots and moving on to a to a different place but um if you get too far away not specifically from a location standpoint but if you let yourself drift away from your upbringing you forget where you come from you know that that can be a, a problem so i think the the message is to to stay true to your roots and not forget uh, the basics of, of life, the lessons that, that you learned, and to know the difference between right and wrong and, and to make sure that you continue to, to let uh, your past and your upbringing lead your way forward. And that if, if you don't, you know, the highway, the open road does have the ability to beat you up, to beat you like a drum. And, and to me, I, I look at that as a really clever way of saying that when you leave your home, when you leave what's familiar to you, you will get blindsided. You will get exposed to a lot of things that 
that maybe do come as a surprise. And, you know, those experiences really teach you who, who you are. They remind you where you've come from and uh, and also maybe let you know that you still have a lot to learn and, and a lot to, to, to grow as a person. That verse about man is a product of all the people that he's ever loved. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of ties that everything too. all back in together mm-hmm. and makes it a little bit more universal. And I think that's such a a great verse there and it and again it may not be autobiographical but it made me think a little bit about him having to come back after reaching sobriety and mm-hmm. that part I don't make a difference how it ended up if I loved you once my friend I can do it again a little bit of a redemption story yeah. um, that really what's mattered to me in the midst of some of the things I've gone through and and life in general it's the people that we love that makes the biggest difference in the end and if there's been some bumps in the roads you can you can still come back to those those people, um, or at least mm-hmm. that's the hope in that line. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Everybody we love leaves leaves their mark to some degree on right, us. Right, right. And we take those memories as we move forward. Musically, this one stands out a little bit to me from some of the other ones as having a little bit more of that roots, bluegrass sound to it. Mm-hmm. This one, to me, really draws back. I, I'm hearing songs like from the Oh Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack kind of period yeah. that especially those background vocals mm-hmm. that come in on the chorus remind me of that or or the band the band mm-hmm. the band remind yep. me of some of the the background vocals from that and i really like that aspect that he's right out of the gate you can tell he's influenced by some of those mm-hmm. older stylings great way to start off the album yeah, yeah, definitely. So track two is probably the song that got the most attention from this album. As we mentioned, it won some awards. And it, it, it's one, if, if if people have only been exposed to Jason Isbell but not really explored all of his music, they've probably heard this song. It's called 24 Frames. And this is how you make yourself call your mother. And this is how you make yourself closer to your brother. Remember him back when he was small enough to help you sing. You thought God was an architect. Now you know he's something like a pipe bomb ready to blow. And everything you built, it's all for show, goes up in flames. In 24 frames. Man, such a good track. Where do we even start with that one? Yeah, what a good song. I didn't know this prior to doing our research, but 24 Frames is a reference to a a film reel which spins at 24 frames per second to approximate real life as perceived by the human eye. I was ashamed that I didn't know that prior to us dissecting this album too, but that's like Mm -hmm. the standard standard movie that you watch is going to be 24 frames per second. Yeah, and when you make that connection, you realize that basically what he's saying is that life can change in the blink of an eye. Right. Probably the the, the most recognizable or, or, or attention-grabbing line from this song would be the chorus. You thought God was an architect. Now you know he's something like a pipe bomb ready to blow. What did you make of that? Such a good line. So mm-hmm. I really connected with that line. I got an upbringing, religious upbringing that has morphed over time. Mm-hmm. And that's what I, w- I was raised to believe the first part of that, that God is an architect, that his hand is in every moment and everything's being guided and everything has a reason. 
And that never really resonated with me because I looked around and saw so many things that just seemed seemed random. And there was a period of my life where trying to reconcile those two things was really difficult. Mm-hmm. And now, viewing God as a pipe bomb ready to blow, instead of that being a shattering of my childhood worldview of God, I, I actually find some comfort in it in a weird way. And I may be reading a little bit too deep into it, but to me, it means something to say he's something like a pipe bomb ready to blow instead of saying God's like a pipe bomb going off because a pipe bomb before it blows up actually has a lot of planning and intricacy. Mm -hmm. After it blows up is when all the chaos happens. And, And to me, I view that as if there is a God, there is some sort of guiding principle behind it all, but it's it's not as planned out, and it's not an architect like we had maybe been told growing up. There's some chaos after it implements, but that doesn't mean that there's not some sort of thought behind it in the first place. Yeah, that's really interesting perspective and connection to your upbringing and experiences in the church and your relationship and understanding of God. Potentially another way of looking at it or dissecting that word architect is that it's not only the person who designs buildings and and puts things together, but it's also typically the man who's in charge of supervising the construction and making sure that things go well. So I kind of look at that as saying that you you think God is an architect, as in that he's somehow holding your hand or, or guiding you through the process. But you also have to be ready for expecting that things will potentially blow up at times too. And that whether you, you believe in God or a higher power or not, that at some point you are in control and you have to, to know that you're not always going to have somebody there. Exactly. I think there's a lot of themes on this album contrasting what we can control or what we think we can control about our lives and what mm-hmm. we can't. And that's one of the things that this song is talking about. I liked how in the chorus, it's making it sound like God's not guiding every aspect of your life. He's just this pipe bomb that's going to go off and ruin everything. But in the verses, it's also talking about how those 24 frames are things you can control, that those Mm -hmm. are things that you do have the ability to in an instant change in your life. You know, this is how you make yourself call your mother, and this is how you make yourself closer to your brother. These are decisions you can make in a moment that can change your life. This is how you help her when her heart stops beating. You know, these are things that in an instant we have some control over. It's contrasting how 24 frames can completely demolish your life and how 24 frames a second in film speak can change our life for the better. It's that balance of what we can control and what we can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I almost looked at that as a way of saying that when things don't go well, when, when they do blow up, that that is what would encourage you to then make yourself call your mother or get closer to your brother. Yeah. So that when you do have these life experiences that kind of blow up in your face like a pipe bomb in in the blink of an eye in a second and 24 frames, that it really makes you think about what you're doing with your life, what you're trying to construct, uh, whether it's for show or really for you and... It challenges you to, to, to think about who you are and what's important to you. And that's where maybe when those things happen, they do lead to you reaching back to family and your roots and the people who love you, which in a way connects to the first song. So I almost feel like they kind of go hand in hand. 
What'd you make of the line that says, this is how you talk to her when no one else is listening, help her when the muse goes missing? Do, did you have a thought on who her and she was in that phrase? I'm not sure. I know he, he says when the muse goes missing, and that part probably means when she's lost passion or, or, or hope or inspiration for whatever that's referring to, whether it's life in general or something more uh, specific, but that you would go help her in a time of need when she needs some type of direction. But again, I, I don't know who she is. Any ideas? The only thing I could come up with is maybe in his relationship with Amanda Shires, who of course also makes music, sometimes she needs some time by herself to mm, be inspired. Yeah. And so when you, when you vanish so she can go drown in her dream again is that moment he decides he's going to give her some space so she can have the muse again to make music. But I wasn't sure if maybe you discovered that while you were reading. Yeah. What, what about the opening line in verse two when he says, this is how you see yourself floating on the ceiling? I had this vision when I was reading that of somebody that is dying because mm-hmm. of that second line when her heart stops beating. And sometimes people talk about when they come to, you know, you've mm. heard stories of um, where somebody is out and then they resuscitate them and then they say, oh, I was looking down on myself. You hear these stories of people saying, I could, I watched as the doctors performed surgery on me like I was floating on the ceiling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, won- I wonder if it's the perspective of of somebody looking in on a loved one that's in that position on an operating table or struggling uh, to hang on to life because after those two lines from verse two it finishes with what happened to the part of you that noticed every changing wind i read that as basically saying what what happened to your innocence what happened to the time in your life where every changing wind everything that happened was meaningful or struck your interest or attention that maybe it was kind of a reality check or a gut check forced to grow up kind of moment as you're sitting there and trying to help somebody whose heart is not beating anymore. Yeah. And all those things would really fit into the theme of, of how your life can change in a second. So Mm -hmm. again, ways that it's left a little bit up into interpretation, but I think what I like about this song is the theme is very clear once once you understand the 24 frames. And then it, beyond that, there's so many things that definitely apply. If we're wrong about that, it doesn't change the effectiveness of the song because we get what he's trying to say, and it just speaks to us in a more personal way. That's, that's mm-hmm. great songwriting to me. Yeah, and then toward the end of the song, he changes the, the, the second line. Instead of saying God is something like a pipe bomb ready to blow, he says he's sitting in a black car ready to go. Yeah, what'd you make of that one? You know, now, now that I, I think about it, if we connect that to the, the verse two that we were just discussing about somebody potentially seeing somebody in the hospital sick and dying, maybe that, that black car represents a hearse the closing of, of somebody's life, how everything you've constructed in your life um, doesn't matter anymore. goes up in, in flames. Yeah it's, yeah, it's it's gone. So that's one way uh, of looking at it. But I don't know if my mind went there initially because I was, I was thinking about the reference that we discussed earlier about how you think God is an architect and that he's there holding your hand and showing you the way, uh, maybe a reference to predestination or faith that we, that we see in the church. And that he's saying here in this song that that's not always the case, that sometimes things can change in the blink of an eye and you're on your own left to sort through that and figure things out. So in that case, when I first listened to this line, I really thought about what 
maybe that black car is representing as a metaphor. I was thinking of God basically being there, but also conspicuous, sitting in a black car, not really for you to notice that he's there, but you don't necessarily know it, that he's watching over you, but at the same time, he's not making it very obvious. He's not there for you to turn to when when you need help, that uh, maybe he constructed things and set the ball in motion, but that now he's kind of hanging out in the background in, in, a, in a black car, maybe in the alley somewhere that you can't see, and, and he's ready to, to go and, and uh, let you spread your wings and control your own destiny. Before we move on from this one, musically, I just wanted to say, I was talking about how the first one had such a roots and old school country sound, particularly I mm-hmm. heard that in the background vocals, and then this one contrasts that quite a bit to me. I This one sounds very contemporary in the music styling. I heard some REM even in the, I know at this point REM isn't contemporary, I guess. They've been around <laughs> a while, but I heard some you know, more mainstream influences in the guitar parts that sounded a little bit like REM to me. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I agree. Before we move on, I, I do want to quote Isbol from an interview that he had with Stereo Gum in reference to this song. They had asked him, what it means to him to to explain uh, the, the creation of this song. So after we've discussed it here, we'll, we'll reflect on what Isabel had to say. But I, I do want to mention or reiterate a point that you brought up in the past, that once once an artist puts the music out there, it, it's not really theirs anymore necessarily, that it's, it's for the consumer to digest and interpret uh, the way they want. And, and I think majority of artists would be happy and and glad that people do that and and wouldn't uh, be too critical to say oh no you didn't get the message you you didn't see it uh, the way that i wanted you to or or something as long as it's uh, powerful and connects to them then i'm sure they've done their job so but with that said i i want to say uh what isbel said isbel sorry i (laughs) i keep uh correcting myself when i pronounce that i listened to an interview uh, a couple days ago and uh, Jason Isbell corrected the, the guy who was introducing them because he introduced them as Jason Isbell and the 400 unit. And Jason said, Isbell. And the guy said, is that just your Southern way of, of pronouncing your last name? Or And Jason said, no, that's just my last name. <laughs> so, <laughs> Whoops. Um, well, <laughs> yeah. I'm, we're gonna so, have half of this with me saying "Bell." Then thanks for educating. Yeah, me yeah, yeah. Well, it's it is kind of a, a southern um, way of saying it. He, he said that he has been on tour in Texas and and he's met some is bells and they've told him you're saying our name wrong, dude. And he's <laughs> like, no, it's Isbel. <laughs> so anyway, in case you're listening, Jason, we are trying to say your name uh, correctly here. <laughs> oh, he's definitely listening. So, Yeah, I think so. He probably will. Yeah. (laughs) So in this interview with Stereo Gum, they asked Jason Isbell if he could unpack 24 frames from them. And and here was his response. He said, when somebody asks me what a song or a line is about, I feel like I'm not done writing it yet. That's true, though. That's why it's the chorus. I felt like that was the most insightful line in the song. It's about having control and assuming that you have control over things that go on in your life. And, you know, you really don't. You don't have any kind of control ultimately. Things are just going to happen as they will. And I think your best option sometimes is just to react rather than try to plan everything out in advance. 
How close were we? Yeah, I think we were close enough. Yeah, I think so. Should we take a listen to track three? Yeah, let's check it out. All right, track three is called Flagship. There's a few too many years on this hotel She used to be a beauty, you can tell And the lights down in the lobby, they don't shine They just flicker while the elevator winds And the couple in the corner of the bar Have traveled light and clearly traveled far He's got nothing left to learn about his heart And they're sitting there a thousand miles apart Baby, let's not ever get that way I'll say whatever words I need to say I'll throw rocks at your window from the street We'll call ourselves the flagship of the fleet So the first two tracks on the album are a little bit more serious and I think talking about life in general, setting the the stage for reflecting on the past and uh, seeking meaning. In track three, and uh, we'll see in track four as well, he he shifts to talking a little bit more about uh, relationships and that's what we see in, in uh, Flagship. So the reference here is is to the lead ship in a fleet of vessels, uh, typically the first, the largest, the fastest, the most heavily armed or best known. And uh, in this song, it talks about how he and I assume girlfriend, fiance or wife are aspiring to be the, the, the couple that's going to set the tone, be the example, be the model uh, relationship. And I, I think you can tell in the beginning of the song where he's, he's talking about this couple in the bar. She's got nothing left to learn about his heart. They're sitting there a thousand miles apart. I think it's somebody standing from, from a distance, maybe up on a second floor of a hotel and, and looking down in the lobby and just seeing this couple there and, and seeing how they're not really interacting. Maybe in today's day and age, it would be uh, a couple that's both glued to their their phone, not paying yep. attention to each other, not not really interacting much. And you can tell that, you know, maybe there was a connection, a spark, but it's just kind of died over the years and it's it's worn out. There's nothing else they want to learn about each other. And, you know, this person who's viewing this just realizes that that's not what he wants. Maybe he's to the point where he's fearing that he and his significant other will become that couple that he's observing in the hotel. And this song is just about his desire to not be that and to be something so much better. Yeah, I love the way he sets the tone right from the beginning with the picture of the hotel. It, it puts you in there. Mm-hmm. You see those lights flicker. We've all seen an old yeah. building where when the elevator goes yep. up and down and you, you can almost hear that elevator. Yeah, the elevator's as old as the, the relationship of the couple. Yeah, the elevator whining yeah. and, and those lights flickering. And, and so mm-hmm. both of those stanzas that you read are talking about neglect, you know, something that was beautiful that just hasn't had the upkeep, both the hotel and the relationship. He just describes both of those things so well. Mm-hmm. This was my entry point into Jason Isbell. This is the first Jason Isbell song I ever heard. Oh, really? Heard. Wow, cool. And I was actually listening to a, a NPR podcast, and they were talking about 
songs that, that came out the year before. And I got married in 2016, and they were talking about songs from albums that had come out in 2015, and this one came up. And I was actually on my honeymoon when I first heard this song. Oh, wow. That's awesome. It was really cool. I was on a ferry to Positano Mm -hmm. in Italy, which is the most beautiful place I've ever been, and looking out over the water and seeing the island approaching... Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about all these things that I will never forget hearing these words and, you know, seeing my mm-hmm. wife next to me and thinking about, I'm just starting on this journey and how, how that's something that creeps in. And, and it made me really think about how important that is. That, that line, I'll throw rocks at your window mm-hmm. from the street is just such a visceral example of somebody that's just crying out basically to say, I, I, I'm, I still care. I want you to notice. I, I haven't forgot about you. Mm-hmm. If it weren't for this song and that moment, I, I may not have dived in like I did from there. But mm. what a what a cool memory I'll always have from this song. There's a lot of lines in that song that talk about how he wants to do things to spoil her. You mentioned throwing rocks at the window. He also says he'll shine his shoes, he'll drive her to the ocean. They'll stay yeah. up in the presidential suite. He mentions Hilton Head in one of the verses, which is an island outside of Charleston, South Carolina, that a lot of people go. That's it's really a, a special place. He must have a particular affinity for South Carolina. I know he, he talks about it in a yeah, song coming up, too. Definitely. Yeah, he, he, he does, for sure. And he, he'll take her for a drive, and she can ride in the back seat. I, I kind of like that line, uh, almost like he was showing her off, but also protecting her, that he'll show her around, he'll be his, her chauffeur. So that's, that was that's really cool. That's cool. I didn't think about that, what that meant to have him in the front seat and her riding in the back. Yeah, that's what, that's what I think. Back in the day, too, you'd uh, have your wife sit in the back as if you were showing her around, and there's that added protection there. Yeah. As well, there's another line in the song that that uh, I really like um, that can be correlated with the message of this song, but also extrapolated to other aspects of life. And it it says, "You gotta try to keep yourself naive in spite of all the evidence believed." I think in reference to the song, that's saying, "You may think you know as much as you need to know, but there's always more to learn. There's always more to." To discover, uh, especially in a relationship, you can continue to grow together, whether you've been together for a year or, or 20 years. There's always a deeper layer, maybe something you haven't been exposed to or a different context in life where you might learn something if you open your mind to it, if you keep yourself naive, if you keep yourself feeling innocent, if you, if you stay curious and intrigued about learning more, if you have an open heart. So I really like that message in the song too. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. I wanted to say, too, that I was thinking about that painting on the wall beside the bed, that, that watercolor sky at Hilton Head, mm-hmm. thinking about typically a painting on the wall like that, a watercolor may not be thought of as highbrow art, but right. if it evokes a memory, it's going to be something that sticks with you and means something. Mm-hmm. And what did you make of the line after that? I see you in that summer where we met and the boy you left in tears in his Corvette. Maybe they met, had a relationship or a, a short fling or a date, and 
it didn't develop or materialize into the relationship that they have today and that he was uh, sad back then, but maybe he continued to pursue her and now they're in a relationship and it's official and they're, they're together now. What was your interpretation? Did you think anything about that? Maybe they met the same summer that then she was with somebody else and he remembers her breaking up with that guy and maybe he's thinking about how he doesn't want that to happen in their relationship, so he's going to do all these things to make sure that isn't the case. Yeah, that could be. Or maybe they met and he was that guy in the Corvette and he was watching from a distance, seeing her with somebody else that they had met, but she was dating somebody and, and they drove off and here he was in his Corvette wishing she was there. Anything else from this song you want to dive into or should we move on to track four? I think we're ready to move on to track four. All right, let's do it. This next song is called How to Forget. I was straight, I was sad, didn't realize what I had. It was years ago. I was sick, I was scared, I was socially impaired. It was years ago. My past a scary movie. I watched and fell asleep. Now I'm dreaming up these creatures from the I think this is a song about running into an ex-girlfriend who's maybe trying to embarrass him in, in front of his new lady by bringing up stories from the past. There's a line that says, my past's a scary movie. And then he, he admits that he's made mistakes. I think he's run into this ex-girlfriend who has already defined him as the guy who he used to be, but she doesn't know the guy who he is now. And he's trying to move on as a better man, as a different person. And maybe she's not letting him live some of those things down. Or maybe there's a bit of jealousy that she's she's trying to taint the relationship that he has uh, with this new girlfriend and give him heck for some of the things that happened in his past. I also thought of it as an encounter with a ex-girlfriend um, or ex wife or partner mm-hmm. um, I didn't insert the thought of his current one being there to me mm-hmm. the embarrassment was him having to face his former self mm. okay I passed a, a scary movie I watched and fell asleep now I'm dreaming up these creatures from the deep was my favorite line and I viewed it as him having to look at himself through her lens of, a, of his past self and being uncomfortable with that yeah, that's a really good perspective as well. I think we can all relate to the song. It's a very playful song. It's it's fun musically, but the lyrics are powerful. I think we, we can all put ourselves in his shoes in that we have memories of the past that maybe we haven't moved on from or people in our past, friends, family members, or people still in our lives maybe haven't totally moved on from or forgotten and we, we'd rather just forget about them. And potentially there, there's an underlying meaning or message there too that it's easier to just put things in the past than to face the truth 
or be asked those hard questions by other people, or maybe have people put things out there that, that make you challenge and question yourself and reflect on the past and think about that in a new light as a, a new person, a more mature person. There's a line that says, teach me how to forget because I ain't sorry just yet. Teach me how to unlearn a lesson. So I think maybe there's a, a struggle between wanting to know how to forget it, but not being able to because you're not totally sorry for it just yet. You want to be able to unlearn that lesson, but maybe a part of you should just face that. Right. Yeah, I thought the same thing. And I think one of the things that you think about when you think about your past and about past relationships is it's easier for you to reconcile with yourself when the person isn't there because like he repeats more than once, he says it was years ago and then he says something else. You know, I was sick, I was scared, I was impaired. It, it was years ago. So mm-hmm. I, I took a lot, both both in that verse and later he says, was I good to you? And says another thing, was I good to you? Could have chose to use to mix it up and say something different. But the fact that he repeated those lines twice in the, in the first time, it's like he's telling himself, yeah, it was years ago. It, it doesn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, he's making excuses. I, I, was, I was sick. I was impaired. It, it was years ago. And then when he gets to the next verse, it starts off like he's like sitting in front of a jury. Right, yeah. Have a seat, have a drink, tell the jury what you think. Was mm-hmm. I good to you? Yeah. Was it hell? Was it fun? Did you think I was the one... Was I good to you? Now they're deeper into the conversation, and he's he's kind of realizing I don't just have to reconcile this with myself and say, mm-hmm. yeah, that it was years ago, that wasn't me. This has left a lasting impression on somebody else, and now he's starting to realize. Actually, I want to know that was it was it okay? Was I was I really that bad? Mm-hmm. Um, I love that line. She won't stop telling stories because the first part of that is like, you know, <laughs> typical typical thought when you think of an ex ex-girlfriend your your yeah. memory of them is a lot of is can be clouded by all the things that went went wrong and and she won't stop telling stories is typical thought of, of what maybe a guy would describe an ex-girlfriend ah she she will never stop talking yeah <laughs> but the next line is and most of them are true right which right is yeah. that part it's like oh shit this, most of them this are true is, i do yeah. have to face some of this yeah and that's 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 where i thought the the song sort of shows both sides of it, the initial impression of being bombarded by somebody who's calling you out on your past and wanting to basically run the other way. You know, you're you're out in public, either by yourself or with your newfound significant other, depending on how you look at the song. I know we had a, a different interpretation there, but one way or another, whether you're by yourself or with somebody else, or maybe it's family or friends or somebody that you care about enough that you don't want them to learn something of your past that they don't currently know because that might alter the way they, they think of the person that you are today. And maybe your first instinct is to turn the other way, dodge them real quick, make sure you don't have this encounter. And then when you do, they're bringing up stuff from the past. You don't want to hear it. You're trying to walk the other way. But then maybe they convince you that this is probably something you do need to face. And that's that's why he says... All right, have a seat, have a drink, tell the jury what you think, you know, get it out there. Um, right. Let's let's face this, let's do it. I, yeah. I think uh, there's a part in that too that made me think about him being with somebody else, but maybe as you mentioned, it was him wanting to be with yourself. So a- after he says, was it hell, was it fun? Did you think I was the one? Was I good to you? He says, now that I have found someone who makes me want to live, 
does that make my leaving harder to forgive? You know, is it harder for you to forgive me now that you know I'm with somebody who makes me happy and you weren't the one who could do that? If I look at it from that being himself, if I remove that new girlfriend from the picture, then I read that as I've changed who I was back then. I'm not that person anymore that I didn't want to live with. I want to live with myself. And I've discovered that on my own. Now, does that make it more difficult to accept the fact or forgive that I left you knowing that you couldn't make me happier, that I wasn't the person I wanted to live with while we were together now that I'm a new person? Oh, that's interesting. And see, it's so funny because once he got to that line, I did take it literally. I, I did start thinking that he's talking about Amanda Shires at this point. And I mm-hmm. thought, you know, this could be Shauna, the, the bassist that played a little bit with Drive-By Truckers. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe yeah. he had a a chance encounter with her. I, I read somewhere that they're on good terms, but right, still, you go, to, you go through some of these things. Mm-hmm. And I did think of him sitting down, just the two of them, Amanda Shires not being there, but once once he got to that line, I did think of it as him referencing his new relationship and saying, it'd be one thing to let it go if you could just say, oh, you're a horrible guy that couldn't commit and had issues. And now that you see, oh, he he could overcome this stuff. I just wasn't the one that could get him through it. Does that make it harder for you to forgive me mm-hmm. knowing it was in there somewhere? Yeah. So it, it, if it is a reference to himself and his life, what we know of him, it could be referring to that past relationship, which also coincided with a time that he was partying too much and addicted to drugs and alcohol, that maybe that person who was with him wasn't able to make him want to live able to get past that and now he's with somebody who does who has helped him because we know that Amanda Shires was one of the people who was uh, very instrumental in in getting him to go to rehab and getting him clean and sober and that's uh, what basically from from what I've read uh, she kind of laid as the the groundwork or uh, requirement for for them to take their relationship a step forward that he had to stay clean and sober but Mm. again back to what I've heard Jason say in some of his interviews about not wanting people to assume that he's the main character in all of his songs. It may not be about him at all. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to point out in my reading about this one, I listened to this album quite a few times, and almost every time I thought Replace the Character set was like characters on a stage. I thought of Mm -hmm. put a new person in there for me that's better than me or something like that. But a character set is actually collection of characters that might be used for multiple languages. Mm, mm-hmm. And so what I then took it to mean after discovering that is it's, it's a little deeper than characters on a set. It's more like, let's, let's rewrite the entire script. Oh, interesting. And I guess that's the challenge of the intricacy of the English language. I, I read that as your character, as in your personality or the, the qualities mm-hmm. that make you who you are, and that that was set back in the day that there was a certain character or the way that this person presented themselves that was set back in the day and that he wants to replace that that was already solidified that this this character is no longer there that my character has changed or improved in this case musically on this one i'm a sucker for the slide guitar just about any Mm -hmm. song that has a slide guitar and this one this one's got a little bit of that at the end of it on the intro part that i really liked yeah that's that that sounds really cool All right, so let's get into track number five, Children of Children. I mean, every song is impressive 
from Jason Isbell, but I think this song really shows how much of a lyrical genius he is with, with his ability to rhyme and get, get messages across. Let's check it out. This is one of those songs from the album when I first heard it didn't initially grab me as much as it did after repeat listen. I think this might be the biggest grower for me on the album and now it might be one of my favorite. Yeah, it's it's a great song. I, I did find an interview clip with Uncut Magazine where Jason talks about what this song uh, means to him, some of the inspiration uh, behind writing it. He says, it is about my parents and my wife's parents. Both sets were very young when we were born. The time my mother spent raising me likely cost her a lot of opportunities. And even though she'd never be resentful of that, and it's obviously not my fault, I've benefited from it, so I've, I've felt guilty about it. I think my wife Amanda has at times felt that way about her mother. The song is my way of looking those things in the eye and dealing with them. There's something I've, I've never really thought about too much. Obviously, it's two individuals' choice to have children in most cases unless they were not prepared and accidentally uh, went down that path. But to have kids when you're still a kid yourself uh, at the age of, of 17, and I, I want to say uh, Jason's dad was 18 at the time he was born. So I think that's right. To put things into perspective, when... Jason wrote this song, or when, when it showed up on the album, he was, I believe, 35 years old, and he was not a father yet himself, so at 35 years old, his mother had a 17-year-old child. So for him to look back and say, my life from years 17 to 35 and what I've been able to do, what I've experienced for my mother was taken up by raising me until I was an adult and able to go off on my own and and to maybe think that she missed out on a lot of opportunities that he's had and some of the experiences that he's had as a young adult uh, without a child because he's had that freedom and not have that responsibility that she had and I think there's just kind of this conflicting issue in his head about being thankful and thinking back and appreciating it but also feeling a little guilty or or resentful for the fact that he's here that she had to go through that and and what that must have been like yeah that line that says pray to god the gods were bluffing to me sounds like the moment that the young couple found out they're pregnant and and I thought immediately back to the 24 frames song about how everything can change in an instant for that mm-hmm. young couple that was his parents and and then I also thought about the lasting things that happen after instances like that and how he was raised 
as you mentioned, in the history by his grandparents and how much influence that had on him musically because so much of his musical influence, it sounds like, came from his grandparents. And I even think some of that performer part, maybe from that Pentecostal preacher grandfather and just thinking how what looks like is a chaotic scenario that they're going to have to go through shaped who he was. And in retrospect, you know, I'm sure there were a lot of hard things about it, but he wouldn't be who he was without that at the same time. Yeah, I think because of the fact that they were so young and also not having come from much, they were both working blue collar jobs. I think his dad was a painter. I don't recall uh, what his mom did for work, but I, I know they were both working a lot, and that's why he ended up with his, his grandparents. So I'm sure that's all wrapped up in his reflection on his childhood and, and, and uh, what his parents uh, were going through to make ends meet and get by. I'd love to ask him about this process of constructing this chorus, but clearly he's he's sitting there thinking, I want to write a song that reflects that my that my mother was young as uh, she was raising me and also somehow get across that I feel a little guilty about that or that it's my fault that she had to go through that experience, which is not very easy to do in, in a couple short lines. And he's, he's able to come up with this amazing chorus that, that goes, I was riding on my mother's hip. She was shorter than the corn all the years I took from her just by being born. Oh my God, such it's a good like line. And, amazing, and it right? it puts I mean, you in the place too. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah. you, you see the location, mm-hmm. you, know, you, you kind of feel like you're, you're looking through his eyes as a little baby and, and yeah, seeing the yeah. corn pass you at eye level. And, and it just, yeah, it really does paint a picture that makes you feel like you're there. Yeah. That line really stood out to me mm-hmm. interacting musically too, because I don't know why, but for some reason, when I put myself through the eyes of the baby hearing that line, I mm-hmm. I imagine being on the left side of his mother's hip, walking between the corn. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the song, um, near the end, actually, around the 350, this, this guitar solo erupts out of the left channel that throughout the rest of the song, it's kind of this you know quieter, introspective song. And all of a sudden, this guitar solo just erupts near the end of the song out of the left channel. And to me, it sounded like this baby crying. It was this sort of strong, beautiful, Mm. chaotic sound off the left side. And I'd already heard that line prior in the the previous choruses, just picturing being on the left side of this hip. And then all of a sudden, this guitar solo made it even more real to me, sounding like this baby crying. Wow. And then um, at the end of the song, at 517, you hear this plodding, bass line that's a bit more in the right channel that Mm -hmm. to me sounded more like the mother's footsteps Um, and that's how it ended the song to me and it just totally put me in the place I'm going to have to go back and take another listen because I would have pictured him on the the right side just because I I think that's where babies are are held most or maybe that's some subconscious memory uh, to my youth, but that's interesting. And then to make that that connection, I'll have to listen for that when I when I go back through it. That's cool. Get, getting back to the chorus and, and um, my thoughts on how he constructed that, I, I wonder if he first came up with the line about just being born or the fact that his mother was shorter than the corn. But back to what I was saying about wanting to to depict that his mom was really young and that she had to go through a lot because of the fact that he was born, that he was there. 
But to be able to say that she was shorter than the corn, either from a stature uh, or a metaphor for the fact that she was young, that being born, I mean, instead of saying something else about just because I'm here or, or my existence or um, anything else, but to be able to sit down, I just, I want to see the the brainstorming that, that goes on in that process or if he's got the thesaurus out and he's just looking at words that rhyme and thinking about how to how to say things differently I'm, I'm curious like the the evolution of that chorus and where it started from those two messages he wanted to get across he he takes a lot of pride in only rhyming words that truly rhyme a lot of a lot of bands or artists will kind of make some exceptions to words that don't actually rhyme but they'll they'll use them because they sound okay He's very picky on making sure that they actually rhyme. And obviously in this case, Interesting. I, it's I pretty didn't know simple. That. I yeah. want to go back and, mm-hmm. and read some of these lyrics with that in mind too, because I typically, you're right, you typically don't see that. And normally it doesn't right. bother me. In fact, sometimes uh-huh. I find it interesting when somebody kind of fudges yeah. a rhyme a little bit. It's kind of cool, but mm-hmm. I hadn't noticed that about his lyrics. That's great. And he says that's that's a pet peeve of his when, when artists will kind of half-ass a song just to make it rhyme, make it work. He feels like they didn't take enough time. And he said he, he really puts a lot of time into that process of constructing the song. And sometimes he will change the wording or the characters without sacrificing the message in order to make that song sound better, to flow better, to be easier to sing, or sometimes to mesh with the music, with the instruments behind it as well. That's something that's important to him in his song construction. So he'll take a lot of time until it's right. That's cool. Yeah, something else uh, interesting. He credits his wife, Amanda Shires, with a lot of his success and ability to make his his messages heard in the songs because he'll go to her for advice. He'll read her the lyrics before he's even put music to it when he's sitting there writing a story, writing a poem and get her critiquing and a lot of times he said she'll basically say no that doesn't work that's not good enough <laughs> and, and and uh he he invites that and one one person asked him in an interview if if that was kind of intimidating or difficult for somebody who he cares about so much telling him that he's doing something wrong or or uh giving him constructive criticism and he said no i mean it's it's a lot easier that way he said it's it's better it's better than her calling me out on or complaining about all the other things I do wrong, like my personality flaws. I'd rather her just talk to me about my music. <laughs> <laughs> it's a way to deflect all the rest of it. You're yeah, going to have yeah. criticism in some way from exactly. your significant other. Might as well be music. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. I, I didn't read that. Mm-hmm. We, I know we've talked a lot about how some of this is autobiographical and some of it may not be, but it was news to me that his real name is actually Michael till I heard this song. I I thought it was an interesting line, so I went back and read and realized, okay, he 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 is Michael. That that was his God-given name. Oh, interesting. Yeah, there's something else interesting. In this song, I think you you mentioned it, but from three minutes until the end of the song at at um, five forty-nine, it's it's all instrumental, and there's not many sections in the album where there is a long instrumental. And I, I kind of thought that was basically giving the listener time to reflect on the power of the message or maybe himself after thinking about it, that that was supposed to show the turmoil that he's wrestling, wrestling with in his head, uh, thinking about all the mixed emotions of 
being grateful uh, to his parents, but also feeling that guilt about being born, knowing what his, his parents, especially his mom, must have gone through raising him uh, as a child when, when she herself was, was still a child. And I thought that was placed really well if we talk about the construction of an album and, and why uh, musically it comes off a certain way. It seemed, seemed like that was strategic. That's a really good point. I'm going to look this up right now, but I, I have another thought about that. I bet you, based on where we're at in the album, mm-hmm. that might be the difference between side A and side B of, of the vinyl record. Oh. That we're on to the second okay. half of the album. Um, I'm trying to confirm or yeah. not on that. Um, let me... Yeah, I can't find it because the the vinyl that I am seeing for sale is actually they're doing it as a double LP, so they're mm. breaking it into four sides. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't figure out if it was in a single one where side A and side B would be. But based on the timing, I'm wondering if that might be the case. Kind of gives you a little outro of the first side before you get to the second half of the mm-hmm. album. Should we talk about the next song? Yeah, let's move on to number six. The life you chose. Always lonely, never quite alone. Where's Jesus that you swore you'd find after running the last line? Are you living the life you chose? Are you living the life that chose you? Are you taking the grown up dose? What what a great song too, and this this is one that that means something different to me or more to me, having gone through this process of dissecting the album and really looking at the lyrics. I, I think of all the tracks on the album, this is one where I connected with the chorus. You live in the life you chose. Or the one that chose you. I I think about that a lot. Sometimes we're set down a certain path that puts you down a, a certain direction. And maybe it's not what you chose. It's kind of what somebody else chose for you, whether that be a specific person in your life or p- potentially society telling you that you should do certain things, that your life has to go a certain way. And maybe it's not what you actually chose for yourself. So I, I stole that chorus, that line, pulled that out. And really connected with that. So every time I heard this song, I was singing along to that, not even really thinking about the verses too much, because I was just in my head about really asking myself, am I living the life that I've chosen or or the one that's been chosen for me by somebody else? And that's something I question a lot as I try to figure out what I want to do with my life, where I want to go, the next step, and uh, everything wrapped up in that idea. So, you know, as a whole, the song speaks a lot on on innocence and immaturity and and, uh, a realization that it can only be determined fully as you uh, mature more as an adult and you reflect on the past you you think about your thoughts and the times that you've had and look at it from a different perspective that's definitely true i was thinking of it holding it in one hand and then holding the life and god like a pipe bomb ready to go off on the in the other hand Mm mm-hmm and I thought of those lyrics together, are you living the life you chose or the life that chose you? Mm-hmm, yeah. Instead of like a, a cautionary tale for him saying like, you know, make sure you pick the one that you choose. 
I thought of it more like, well, clearly he already knows that moments are more like pipe bombs going off. How are you supposed to choose your life in every moment? And and so what I took from this one is you're supposed to, as the listener, realize it, it's a little bit of both. You, you, you're going to make decisions. You're going to try and guide your life. But at the end of the day, life's going to choose you too. You're, you're going to end mm-hmm. up somewhere that you didn't really expect. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's timely for where he probably was at in his life at this time. He's he's our age when he's writing these things, mid-30s. And mm-hmm. I can identify with that where it's been a little bit of both for me. And some of the greatest things about my life are the things that chose me. But that doesn't mean I just am passive in, in my life. I'm still doing the best I can to make, make the choices to, to guide my life. But trying to accept the things that I can't control as well. Yeah, yeah, I think we both had that connection. But if you dive into the lyrics, you can say that the the song maybe is is about uh, a specific event or relationship. If you look at yeah. how it starts out, who are you if not the one I met July 9th before the town went wet, Jack and Coke in your mama's car, you were reading the bell jar. I had to look that up. I, I didn't know what that reference was in that line. I wasn't familiar with, with the book, but it's a, a novel by Sylvia Plath, uh, very famous, I've come to find out. So maybe I should go, go read that book and enlighten myself. But in that novel, The Bell Jar, the main character uses the bell jar as the primary metaphor for feelings of confinement and entrapment. Ah. And she feels that she's kind of stuck in her own head you know, wrestling with thoughts, spinning around, dealing with self-doubt and dejection over and over again with no hope for escape. So she's kind of stuck in this jar, uh, so to speak. And that's that's the, that's the metaphor. So it, it does relate to what we're saying about questioning whether you're living the life you chose or the life that chose you and trying to figure out where, where you want to uh, guide yourself. And then in the end, you know, there, there's there's plenty left um, for us to make our getaway. I assume money um, from something, and you know they could run away. I think he's encountered this person, and maybe is longing for the past. Uh, they've split uh, for whatever reason because there's a reference about him asking if if she's living with a man um, who knows her like he thought he did back in the day. Meaning, like, does this guy take care of you and respect you and know you as well as I do? Are you guys connected? Is that the life you've chosen or has that been chosen for you? Did somebody else put you down this path? Did you get set up with this guy? Did, did somebody, maybe society say you needed to get married or settle down and, and possibly that that wasn't right for you and that when he sees this person, this girl, it, it puts him back in time. He thinks about when they were in, in the back of his mom's car when he was younger and um, he says, here I am inviting you to throw your life away, victim of nostalgia, maybe Tangare. Just tonight, I realized that I'm still in your back seat. Nothing I've had since has meant a thing to me. Maybe he's longing for the past, and when he sees her, it brings back a lot of memories and uh, wanting potentially to go after that, that maybe to come full circle with this idea of toying with the life you've chosen for yourself versus one that somebody chose for you. Maybe the reason they split was because somebody else said that he needed to take a different path in life. Maybe they said, hey, you need to you need to go off to college, or you need to go do this, you need to get a job. And that wasn't conducive to staying with this person. And maybe that's why they split up. And now that he's seeing her saying, I need to go after this. I need to choose the way I want to live my life. And maybe that's trying to rekindle this flame. Yeah, yeah. I I thought the same thing. It sounded like an encounter with someone that he knew long ago. It could be a friend or 
or somebody that he had a relationship with, that first part of them drinking in her mom's car and she's reading that book, which is going to be a popular book for maybe like a high school literature class. Mm -hmm. And so it puts you in that, the time that maybe they were friends that, you know, they were drinking in somebody in their parents' car and she's, she's finishing some class assignment and they're hanging out. And then lines like when he, when he lost the fingers to a faulty tool and, and he said, you probably knew that, that you probably knew line makes it seem like maybe they have mutual friends from the past. So, you know, somebody probably told you I had this accident. Mm-hmm. And then the stanza you you read that's really the bridge was the part that turned everything on its head for me that I'm inviting you to th- throw your life away, victim of nostalgia, maybe Tanqueray, which is a kind of gin. I mm-hmm. thought of it as, you know, at first they get together, they're remembering the past, it, it feels kind of good, and then they get a few more drinks in there. Yeah. And that line, you know, just tonight I realized I'm still in your back seat. And nothing has meant a, a thing to me since. Basically, it made it seem like, oh boy, it's getting a little real now. <laughs> You're a few drinks in, and instead of just it feels good to remember the past, it's like not only did I enjoy that, that's that's the last time I felt any like anything meant anything. You know, mm. let's let's get the hell out of here. And it, I mean, it's one of those yeah. things where you could see yourself getting drunk and having a conversation. Right. Maybe with the gin talk past the gin talk, and then yeah. you wake up the next day and you're like embarrassed but also a little bit freaked out going Mm -hmm. where did that come from do i really think that am i actually was i actually happier back then and wrestling with with those things and then of course right back into the chorus did i choose where i am now all of a sudden challenging what you're doing with your life and whether or not you made a mistake yeah your your whole sense of who you are and whether you're where Mm -hmm. you're supposed to be is flipped on its head after this meeting that's kind of what i i took from the song i thought that was really cool and then i like the line at the end of the chorus where he says i thought i knew you back then but i guess i never did and and then i first i thought it was weird that did i kid part Mm -hmm. that's something that kind of like casablanca that you know the here's looking at you kid is something that maybe a a man would say call a woman Mm. but then also thought it, you could have a double meaning like did I kid like was I kidding myself did I ever actually know you oh so it could mean like hmm. he's talking to her but he's also asking himself was I wrong did I did I yeah. know you back then I didn't really think about that kid as a way of saying joking or uh you know like something more lighthearted. I, I was thinking of it as a sign of innocence did I know you yeah. back then did I did I kid you know uh, like where i'm from in the midwest and and in the in the south uh where isbel's from you know saying things like hey kid and stuff it's it's kind of usually an adult child type relationship but basically anybody who has maturity over somebody else referring to them that way so it's not necessarily an age gap but it could like be anything where that that person has superiority over them because of experience or wisdom and and him just reflecting and being like i guess i never did huh kid like you know we were we were innocent we were young we didn't know what we were thinking back then maybe i didn't really know you because i i wasn't grown up i'm not the adult who i am today so thinking back saying man i remember how great it was back then. I'm thinking about these feelings, but maybe they weren't totally real because we were we were both kids back then and didn't really have the capacity to fully understand each other. Maybe we're not the people we thought we were. That's a great song. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it really is a good one. All right, should we move on to the title track? 
Yeah, let's do it. Another one of my favorites. Let's take a listen to track seven. This song is called Something More Than Free. This song really reminds us to appreciate the little things in life, like being able to wake up and go to work, having a purpose, working toward a reward, and being humble in that process, knowing that not everybody is lucky enough to be in that situation. I think specifically to Jason Isbell, this song is is about a reflection of a time that he was talking to his dad where his dad mentioned that he had been working six days a week, sometimes seven, and that he was so busy and worn out that come Sunday mornings, he didn't even have enough energy to go to church. But he, he's thankful for the work and the ability to provide for his family and uh, make a living. In, in an interview, Jason said that he was on the phone with his dad one day and he was saying, you know, I wish I could go to church with them. I, I think I probably should be there, but I'm just too exhausted every Sunday to do that. And then Isabel goes on to say, and, and it occurred to me, I thought, man, what, what kind of position is that to be in, you know, where you're really grateful for having this job that prevents you from being grateful in public about it in a way that people in my part of the country normally show their gratitude by going to church and giving, giving thanks with their community for something like that. So I think for him, it, it really just, just made him think about the, the sacrifices that his dad uh, made for him to put food on the table and and to raise the family, and uh, that he maybe wasn't even able to, to stop and take a minute to, to show his appreciation because he was so busy and wrapped up in the process of working. I thought of it as everybody thinks freedom is no rules, no constraints. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've ever you know, maybe had an assignment or somebody asks you to do something and it's totally wide open. At one point you might think, oh, that's great, I can do whatever I want. But if someone tells you, I, I want you to write a story, but I want it to, I want the first line of the story to be this. It, it gives you a starting place and it gives you a little bit of constraint that leads you to freedom. And I, I saw that the narrator of this song basically saying, I don't, I don't mind doing this. This is what I'm supposed to do. A, a hammer finds a nail, a freight train needs a rail. I'm, I'm working because that's, that's my role in life. Yeah. Makes me happy. I don't, I don't want, I don't want to just say I, I've got the freedom to do anything because that that's almost scary or isolating. It's like that phrase, you, you can have just enough rope to hang yourself with. Yeah. I think for the narrator of this song, he enjoys the simple things mm-hmm. and challenging that notion of what freedom really means. And I saw uh, Jason make reference to that line of, of, of freedom giving you just enough rope uh, to hang yourself from really okay yeah. yeah when he was talking about why he chose that title for the album and and uh what it means to him i was going to get into that later but but since you you bring it up i i think it's a good point to uh share this uh with you and and our listeners so i'll, I'll pull this up here 
somebody asked him what the significance of the album's title was for him. And I'm going to read this here because I, I think it's really powerful. Not only for this song, I think this song maybe has a little more specific message to his father and what he was searching for in something more than, than free uh, as a way to say that it wasn't necessarily freedom from work or the ability to, to choose what you want to do with your life, but the freedom to provide for your family and, and to have this this emotional uh, freedom or, or um, mental security that your family has taken care, care of and that they're, they're safe and, and protected and you're doing your job. So I, th- I think for his dad in that particular situation, that was his way of achieving freedom, knowing that he's he's playing his role and he's doing what he's on this earth to do and that's to raise the kids but obviously as a a whole the the collection of songs on this album do speak a lot about finding freedom not only in a, a physical sense but also emotionally spiritually for your mind to be set free and in this interview that's where Jason Isbell really talks about the album's title so I'm gonna I'm gonna read this to you he says it seemed to be a good point of reference for the sort of life that I have now. Freedom is a means to an end. Very often you hear people putting so much emphasis on having the freedom to choose and living the lives that they want. And I understand that I have been very fortunate to be born into certain circumstances that allow me to do whatever I want to do for the most part. But freedom can also be enough rope by which to hang yourself. Interesting. Yeah. I, I went. I went through a long period of time where I didn't have to answer to anybody. So I made a lot of big mistakes, things that I don't necessarily regret now because I learned from them, but I overdosed on that freedom for a while. I think as you get older, if you mature and grow in the right way, then eventually you realize it's not really freedom that you're fighting for. It's what that freedom can get you. It's freedom combined with the ability to make good decisions and align your priorities correctly. The ability to make those decisions is a privilege that not everybody has, end quote. And um, that's basically his way of dissecting this album, saying that we're, we're all seeking freedom, but not, not necessarily the ability to free up our, our calendar, our planner, to have this endless amount of time and space to do something with our lives, but also the ability to make good decisions and, and construct something, put something together that truly does make you feel free and happy and appreciative of of what you have and that's a that's a two that's a two-part process you don't automatically get happiness when you get freedom you you still have to write your story and and uh fill the pages of your book or uh, put put paint down on the on the blank canvas once you've acquired it yeah and he does such a good job writing in a style of somebody that might be living this even subtle things like Instead of saying, I don't think about, he says, I don't, I don't think on. It's a phrase that maybe you hear more where you are, but mm-hmm. here, in, here in San Francisco, I don't hear people say that very often, Yeah. but I know where it's from. And when I hear that, it, it helps me, helps place me in that kind of a setting that connects me with the song a little bit more. So I just really like his writing style in that way. Yeah, and and even his his choice of words and in, in in describing that a lot of times people are are destined to do what they're designed for and saying a hammer finds a nail and a freight train needs the rail, you know that that's something that's probably fairly close to him or meaningful because he grew up in a place where a lot of people were working blue collar jobs, a lot of people were in the fields in construction doing 
railroad work and working really hard and that maybe they, they don't necessarily want to have to do that, but that's what they're there for. That's what needs to be done. And they've accepted the fact that they're able to do that. And, and, uh, and instead of being too resentful of that, they're appreciative that they simply have a job that pays the bills and puts food on the table. And they're focused on that instead of the daily grind of working, going back to uh, one of the earlier songs that we discussed, If It Takes a Lifetime, number one, track one, he talks about the daily grind of working, how he can't recall a day that he didn't want to disappear, but he keeps on showing up. Uh, I mean, th there was deeper meaning to that song too, but if we, if we look at it, a literal sense of working, showing up to work, I feel like there's a connection to this one too, and that you have to show up to work in order to obtain the ability to seek uh, freedom in your life, whatever that means to you. Yeah, well said. Good song to sum up the album as a title track. I, I think it's also interesting at the end of the song, he says, when I get my reward, my work will all be done, and I will sit back in my chair beside the father and the son. What I'm working for is something more than free. That really ties into what we've been talking about with the South and the blue-collar jobs. His back may be numb, his hands are freezing, but he knows that that's all part of the process and that it's worth it, that someday he will be able to sit back with his father and his son and enjoy the freedoms in life that he's working so hard for every day. Yeah, I, I think the, the father and the son on that one is God and Jesus. Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, you think he's saying, I'll, I'll be... I'll die and I'll go up and sit hmm. next to, since it says the father and the son, I think he's talking about, Oh wow. I'll, I'll have my right hand, the right hand of God. When I, when I die, I'll, I'll go sit next to them. That's a different spin on that song that I didn't think about, but yeah, saying that he thanks God for the work and that he's doing what he's on this earth to do. There definitely is a, a religious context that can be pulled from that and that Someday he will be in heaven and be seated at the, the right hand of the Father and the Son and that they'll be proud of the work he's done. Hmm. Wow. Nice job pulling that out of there. I didn't even think about that. There was another quote that I found from a, a magazine that I, I think is worth mentioning here. It, it uh, ties in with what we've, we've been saying about here. This was with Uncut uh, Magazine. He was... He was asked to what extent his songs about ordinary hardship is a, a gesture of thanks, uh, that he's escaped that kind of work. And to that, he replied, these songs are inspired by conversations with my father. He's worked very hard his whole life, as did his father and mother. I worked very hard myself, but there are obvious rewards to what I'm doing. Dad's only reward is a family that is well taken care of, and that seemed to be enough for him. Those stories are the ones that interest me the most. Work as a service, as a labor of love, in the truest sense of the word. Hmm. Yeah, it fits right in with the lyrics of the song. Yeah, definitely. And uh, just to make a, a brief connection um, to my life, and uh, possibly you feel the same way, we're both physical therapists. and Yeah, I don't think we've and, mentioned uh, that before. We have, we have the gift of being able to work with people every day. We're given the opportunity to help them get out of pain, get them feeling better, or somehow change their life for the better. Every day we have that, that chance, although it, it's, it's sometimes difficult, it's sometimes challenging. There's, there's some heartache, frustration, 
that that you go through and and trying to work with with people and and get them down the right path and have have success for them so they can move on with their lives in a in a better place but uh there's this line that really connects with me that I think about from this song and that's that he's doing what he's on this earth to do and 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 the days that I question whether I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing you know I I uh can rest easy at night or be assured that that I that I am doing something that has value and that that maybe I I was designed to do kind of like a a hammer finds a nail or a freight train needs the rails uh, I have been put in a place for one reason or another whether it's what I chose or what somebody else chose or what the world society told me to do it is what I'm doing and I'm thankful that I possess the ability to to work with people to talk to them and and uh that I that I had the ability to go through the educational process to obtain the knowledge and skills to be able uh, to do that, to help them and to, to play my part in the world. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the work. You texted me something like that this week, and I know we were both listening to this album on and off and mm-hmm. sending each other messages throughout yeah. the week. We, we both work pretty long hours throughout the week, and so for, for me here in San Francisco, my digesting of this album mostly took place on my BART rides from mm-hmm. from where I live to where I work, and I enjoyed listening to this album in those times, but somewhere around Wednesday, I was pretty tired this week, and you sent me a text like that, and it, and it did change my day a little bit. I, the song got stuck in my head from about midweek on, and, and that I'm, I'm just happy to have the work resonated with me and helped me kind of get through the week as I was looking forward to doing this podcast with you, and I thought that was really cool that what we're doing as a side thing for fun has kind of bled into helping us appreciate a little bit what we do in our nine to five, so to speak. It's the music connecting us with the real world. Yeah, it's really fitting. And I'm, I'm glad we chose this album and that I am in a place where I can make that connection because I think it's something that will stick with me for a long time that I'll, that I'll remember. I'm I'm in a a place right now where I'm working for a, a few different companies as needed covering a lot of the nursing homes in the area. I live in a, a small town, about 10,000 people, which is actually considered a city for Iowa. But hmm. a lot of the smaller towns around here have less than 500 people, but they all have a nursing home and they all have a lot of people who need to be taken care of. So I've been hitting the road a lot, driving 50, 60 miles one way, seeing some people at a nursing home, then driving to another one, and then eventually making my way back home. So there's been some really long days and a lot of time out on the road to stop and think about what I'm doing. Obviously, it's not always easy to get up at the crack of dawn and hit the road, especially in the middle of winter here in Iowa. We've had some frigid cold days Hmm. uh, below zero with 20, 30 below zero wind chills. And it's 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 tough to get out there and gas up the car and hit the road and drive on those open country roads uh, through the the cornfields, which are all dead at this point and covered in snow. It's it's kind of a, an eerie uh, gray feeling. It's uh, v- very dark. There's not a lot of sunshine this time of year. And as I'm driving through these small towns, I think about not only the people that I'm going to help at the nursing homes, but also the people that make up those communities and the jobs that they have. 
I'm thankful that I have the work, that I have the ability uh, to make a living for myself and that I'm also able to contribute to bettering the society, bettering their community and the people that I work with and, and their, their loved ones, their friends and family are not, are not so fortunate. They're not as fortunate, I should say, in, in many cases, at least not uh, from a, a financial standpoint of, of having a stable job and knowing that they're, they're going to have enough in their paycheck to pay the bills and, and put food on the table, and provide for their family. They're working a lot of blue-collar jobs, working long hours, working really hard. And this song really made me think about the, the contrast between my life and theirs, but also what unifies us and what connects us. And that's ultimately helping each other out, being a, a human, having that uh, connection and working together because everybody has the same goals in life or the same desires and needs. We all want to be happy. We all want to provide for our family and, and have good, good relationships and connections with our friends. And somehow wrapped up in the song and the chorus when I was on the road and thinking a lot about it, 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 uh, it definitely hit home because it's it's um, really near and dear to my heart, especially with the current work situation I'm in and the people I'm I'm working with. So I was definitely glad that this song came across this album and we were able to, to talk about it in this capacity. That's awesome, Shane. I really appreciate you sharing that story. I'm, I'm glad you sent, shared it with me during the week and that you replayed it here because... Um, very fitting to the lyrics for sure yeah yeah definitely it's part of the process of getting deep into the songs and and also getting to know each other and and uh sharing our experiences with the music and how it how it relates uh to our lives that's something that i've really been enjoying with this process yeah me too well shane are we ready to jump into speed trap town yeah, yeah, this is another great song. It it uh connects to this place that I'm living in as well too with with uh, all these little towns, so we'll get into that. This one is heavy. He doesn't leave oh, you yeah. much breaks in this album and this this might be the weightiest one, but it's such a great song. Let's take a listen. She said it's none of my business, but it breaks my heart. Dropped a dozen cheap roses in my shopping cart Made it out to the truck without breaking down Everybody knows you in a speed trap town Well, it's a Thursday night, but there's a high school game Sneak a bottle off the bleachers and forget my These five air bastards run a shallow cross. It's a boy's last dream and a man's first loss. And it never did occur to me to leave till tonight. And there's no one left to ask if I'm alright. I'll sleep until I'm. Straight enough to drive Then decide If there's anything That can't be left Man, this song, maybe more than any other one 
really shows what a great writer he is. And you mentioned it before in one of the other songs, how he can pack so much into just a couple lines that paints a picture. And, and he starts off right out of the gate with this one. She said, it's none of my business, but it breaks my heart. Dropped a dozen cheap roses in my shopping cart. You, you already know something's happening. You, you know this one's going to be a story. Mm-hmm. And this one really is a story from, from beginning to end. And Yeah, it sucks you in let's, right let's away. try to unpack this one. Yeah, this is, this is a, a big track. Yeah. Well, let's first set the stage a little bit and talk about the metaphor speed trap town. Oh, that's that's a, a common phrase around Iowa where where I've grown up and lived most of my life. Where I'm from, there's all these places where the speed changes really quickly as you're going into a small town. And a lot of times there's only one or two ways to get through that town. And the cops will hang out right where that speed changes typically in a a pretty concealed place waiting to pull people over. There's one that's very well known here in my hometown of Carroll, Iowa, and that's heading north out of town. You go through this small town of Auburn, Iowa. It's a super small town. And as you're heading into town, there's a, a 10 or 15 mile stretch where it's 55 miles an hour. And then I'm almost positive it drops to 35 without much of a warning. And that 35-mile-per-hour sign is about 100 feet or less before the start of the town, which is where that cop usually hangs out. So I looked at the population here. There's only 309 people in Auburn, Iowa, as of uh, 2017. So that's okay. the cliche speed trap town. Everybody knows you got to pay attention because the cops are hanging out right there, and, and that's the only place they have to get you. That's about the only job they have to do to patrol that little town. Yeah, so you already kind of place yourself in this small town and then mm-hmm. he says everybody knows you in a speed trap town so you know it's small yep. you know that something happened and then exactly. you don't know exactly what's going on yeah until he gets a little bit deeper in there but he doesn't doesn't go right into the rest of the story he he drops into another little side story he says it's thursday night there's a high school game sneak a bottle mm-hmm. at the bleachers forget my name Small town so life it's again. a small town scenario. I, I, I don't know if you know this or not, and, and maybe there isn't any significance, but I think a high school football, I think of you know Friday night lights. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know if, if Thursday night might signify a bigger game because the, the next line, you know, they, they, the other team beat him. The 5A Bastards run a shallow cross. It's a boy's last dream, man's first loss. So this, this sounds to me like it's a big game, maybe end of the year or something. And I don't know if Thursday night signifies that or not well that's what's going on in that line there's the reference to thursday night lights playing under the lights a lot of times that's when you might have a football game uh during the week thursday or friday but okay it's pretty pretty well known yeah so he's going to a football game uh saying these 5a bastards run a shallow cross i assume that's referring to a bigger school at least where i'm from in iowa there's classes of sports there's 1a 2a 3a 4a yeah if he's in a a speed trap town a small town maybe they're playing against a bigger school then he says it's a a boy's last dream and a man's first loss that could be referring to other messages in the song but if we just looked at that specific stanza then possibly it's a, a kid in the bleachers drinking out of a bottle wishing he was out in the field that's his dream to play but maybe he's not good enough to make the team and 
a lot of men will hang on to the glory days of playing in sports and, and eventually uh, that's something you lose or maybe that's a literal sense of a loss as in you, you lost to another team to this 5A school. But those could be some themes wrapped up there. Yeah, I took the stanza to be about that main character. He's mm-hmm. duck in a speed trap town. He's, he's got this situation going on with his dad and that's that's yeah. why the woman dropped the roses in his shopping cart mm-hmm. and i think he's just trying to forget all about it i picture and this is just me inserting my own narrative but I, I picture that maybe he used to play football when he was young and that might be one of the things that he was known for in this town at least it's something that gave him joy yeah in this tiny town and so he's like you know what i'm gonna do i'm just gonna try to forget about all the shit that's going on in my life right now i'm gonna yep. go up and watch a football game make me feel good and, and drink and then <laughs> They, the te- his home team loses, and it's that transition of when you're playing high school ball, you feel like you're top of the world, and but you're really just a boy. And then when you lose and the season's over, that's kind of what makes you realize you're a man. You, you got to go off and do put away childish things, basically, and that's your first big loss, knowing that it's over, your your dream's done. Yeah, and possibly that's that's a way of setting the stage for the deeper meaning or message to the song uh, that, that we get into with the next verse. Next stanzas are talking about his dad being in the ICU, and you, you find out that he had had a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Paints such a great picture, you know, veins through the skin like a faded tattoo. And he goes back even further and describes how his dad used to be a cop, and he'd be pulling people over in this little speed trap town. One such people was a, a woman that he said slept with that was not his mama mm-hmm. that caused this heart attack and that's where why he's where he is just hanging on with machines basically yeah and there's reference to having to sign my name and and say my last goodbye and then decide i don't know if if they're saying that he he was in charge of pulling the plug or 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 letting his dad go in this case or or if maybe he was just signing his name as a guest or visitor at the hospital to go see his dad for the last time and then and then hit the road. That's a good point. I definitely thought of it the first way where his dad's just been hanging on and, and mm-hmm. he just decides he's going to make the decision to pull the plug literally on his dad and then metaphorically on his connection to this town. He realizes, why the hell am I still here? I've got all these things going on. There's, there's really nothing left for me. And then that's what happens at the end. He gets on the road and he sleeps off the hangover and Mm-hmm. And the last couple lines are a thousand miles away from that speed trap town. The whole thing really is a start to finish story. That's the first song that I would say is kind of a a ballad that, mm-hmm. that describes it from front to back. And, and each little stanza reveals another element to the story. Yeah. So did you get the impression that this, this kid was drinking at the football game? And and that's that's where he wrestled with this thought of letting his dad go and moving on. And then went to the hospital intoxicated and then hit the road and drove for a while and didn't realize how drunk he was until the sun came up and the road got a little blurry and that's why he pulled over and decided to sleep or is he just burned out from driving through the night and uh, being stressed out about the whole matter? Yeah, I, I guess I thought of it more as the he made the decision after going up there and drinking and I thought of it as him being a little older, I didn't I didn't think of him as a child at that point, and he very well could be. I, I just thought of a, a grown man that maybe used to play, and he still mm-hmm. has some ties to the football. It, maybe that was the high school that he went to and something that he still remembers. And 
And then when his team lose, loses and his dad's dying and he's just kind of, I think you, you wrestle with that sense of what home is no matter what, even if there's nothing to keep you there. I think we all feel a little guilty for leaving. And they, there's that phrase, you can take the boy out of the town, but you can't take the town out of the boy. Mm-hmm. And I, I get the sense that this, it, it, clearly he doesn't have a great relationship with his dad, there's a line that says he didn't care about us when he was walking around, just pulling women over in this speed trap town. Yeah, when he was cheating on his mom. and Right, so he's dealing with these things with his dad, but he's also realizing both with that and with the game and where he's at in life that there's really nothing keeping him here, and I'm sure he's feeling really conflicted. At the end, he realizes he's got to get out of there. I think there's also a... a deeper meaning of him maybe not really liking the fact that he's in a small town and that everybody knows everything from the opening to the song she said it's none of my business but it breaks my heart here's this lady he doesn't even know and she comes up to him and says hey you know i know your your dad is going through some health issues here's some roses i feel bad for you And, and then he follows that up with made it out to the truck without breaking down everybody knows you in a speed trap town it's almost like he he didn't want that. He wanted to, to run away from it, to get away from it all. He doesn't want to face the aftermath of his father passing away and and, and what the town is, is going to think of that and, and uh, how they're going to define him. He doesn't want to have to live with that. He wants kind of a fresh start. Yeah, that's another element of it being conflicting, I assume, is there's some comfort in everybody knowing you and, mm-hmm. and feeling like you've got support but there's also some comfort in some anonymity at times of yeah. heartache as well and i think that's probably one of the things in the, that particular case with that opening line it, it was probably a little bit too too intense he didn't mm-hmm. really want to share that with some random person at the yeah at the grocery store and where is his mom in this story during all of this why isn't she the one to sign the papers and potentially pull the plug and if his general sentiment is that he feels bad for his mom, that his, his dad was sleeping around and that he ended up in this situation and now he's leaving both of them in this place, why would, why would he leave? Why would he run away from that and, and not stay there to be with his mom? I agree. I think you have to infer that she's not around anymore. That yeah, it doesn't I wonder. spell that out, but that's mm-hmm. another piece that would indicate that I just ha- have nothing left here anymore. Everything's, sure. everything's gone. Maybe he had a good relationship with his mom maybe he maybe they divorced and she moved out of town maybe she left and went exactly so i I think he's taken inventory and that's probably one other item on it of there is just nothing left here for me to yeah for me to stay this is another one that i would i would love to be able to sit down with jason and ask about his his inspiration for the song because clearly we know it's not about him specifically it's not about his past his dad wasn't a cop and we know that's not not the story uh that his life has taken but potentially family members or friends, or maybe he just read about it or, or overheard uh, from somebody uh, a heartfelt story that he wanted to write a song about. Yeah, or just thought it up. He, he's such a good writer. Yeah, who it's knows? Probably, it it could be all that... fictional. That's right. true. So I think we'll move on to the next song, track nine, Hudson Commodore. Just wanted to ride in a hut's 
So that's another fun song, a little more lighthearted than some of the others, but also has yeah. a great meaning to it and speaks about trials and, and tribulations of life and wanting to pursue your dreams and envisioning yourself in a different place to to put some perspective to the song. The Hudson Commodore is an automobile which was produced by the Hudson Motor Car Company of Detroit, Michigan between 1941 and 1952. During its time of production, the Commodore was the largest and most luxurious Hudson model. There's another reference in this song to the Delahaye 135, which was an automobile manufactured by Delahaye, designed by young engineer Jean-Francois. It was produced from 1935 until 1954 in many different body styles. A sporting tourer, it was also popular for racing. So this song is about a single mother, most likely raising children, working hard through a challenging time, maybe the Great Depression, longing for a life where she could drive a fancy car and, and uh, be free, uh, potentially setting in the, the 40s or 50s and just dreaming about one day where maybe she has enough money to go purchase a Hudson Commodore or a Delahaye 135 and just hit the open road and be free. So it does have some connection to a lot of the other songs in that people sometimes are stuck in a life uh, that they, they don't totally want and they're they're longing for something more but also sticking with the process that maybe one day it'll pay off this this is one this one is easy to ascertain it's not autobiographical because it's about a woman Mm -hmm. Um, it definitely paints the picture of somebody that maybe felt like they had to live a certain life because at the time deciding you just wanted to write off and in the the line of a doctor then a lawyer then a roosevelt try to take her her underneath the wing making it sound like she had suitors and mm-hmm. if she was doing yeah. what she was supposed to do oh a doctor wants to marry you oh, a <laughs> lawyer or and, and roosevelt maybe a politician or something why wouldn't you say yes to that and that's just not what she wanted she didn't want to live in her daddy's world as, as another line says she just wanted to mm-hmm. fly off in one of these fancy cars and do her thing and you can kind of visualize a woman in the Great Depression especially, but just being that long ago in general, not feeling like she might have had the freedom to do those things. That's what the song seems to be about to me. Yeah, maybe, and even though she had that opportunity to marry by one of those guys who was who was courting her, who had the money to afford her that luxury, it's not really what she wanted. She kind of wanted to do things her way. She was fine with being a single mother and working hard and, and uh, having her freedom to do things her way and pursue her passions and try to create a life for herself instead of relying on somebody else or jumping into theirs. Yeah. All right. Well, we're down to only a couple of tracks left on this album. Let's finish it off. All right. The next track is called Palmetto Rose. Palmetto Rose. Isbell really shows us that he can rock in this song and uh, really picks up the pace a little bit musically from some of the other tracks on this album. 
Yeah, he's showing his cards a little bit for what will become his next album, that Nashville sound that definitely has a little bit more bite to it. And yeah, definitely. A lot more of the electric guitar comes out when he brings in the 400 unit for that. So for those listeners out there who are not uh, familiar, a palmetto rose is a symbol for everlasting love. It's made from the green and yellow leaves of the palmetto tree, South Carolina's official state tree. Have you ever been to South Carolina? No, it's funny. We've been listening to this album, and then I had a friend recently I ran into on the BART that's lived here for quite a while that just out of the blue said, I'm thinking I'm moving to South Carolina. Nice. I was like, that's very interesting. Um, But I have not gotten to go there myself. Have you? Yeah, when I lived out in North Carolina, I made a, a few trips to South Carolina, different parts. I think this song refers most to Charleston, South Carolina, and some, some other towns that really have that Southern charm uh, feel to them. Charleston is an amazing city. I highly recommend anybody taking a visit there. But if you are there long enough, you will most likely get approached by somebody with a basket full of palmetto roses hmm. trying to get you to buy them as a, a symbol of love for uh, your significant other, especially if you're walking around with your significant other and somebody who makes these roses and, and sells them sees a couple, they'll probably approach you and tell you the backstory, the history, and get you real emotional and, and uh, mushy about... Uh, your relationship and and buy one of these roses because of that symbol and what it means to the the state and the area. Yeah, I was picturing that might be the case. And then that line where he says, catch him coming out of King Street store, bullshit story about the Civil War. I, I yep. had to read a little bit about what that is. And not only are they saying, hey, you should buy this for your significant other, they also have this story of how women would give this to husbands and boyfriends before Mm -hmm. going out and fighting the Civil War, and that that is completely made up to sell these and appeal to the tourists. And King Street store, King Street is a very popular tourist area, I read Mm -hmm. there. I think one of the deeper meanings to this song, too, or something else that sheds light on is Jason Isbell's love-hate relationship, if you will, with, with the South or maybe the state of South Carolina, there's that line where he says, it's the ladies I love and the law that I hate. Lord, let me die in the iodine state. Well, the iodine state is another reference to South Carolina. It's one of their lesser known nicknames, the product of a 1920s agricultural marketing campaign touting elevated levels of iodine in the state's produce. So that's, again, making another reference there to South Carolina. And that was also bullshit as well, right? That there wasn't actually yeah, any exactly. more iodine in the vegetables. It was right. a marketing campaign. Yeah. Yep. And and so I think it's pretty clear in this song and then also knowing what we know about Jason Isbell and his, his upbringing that the South holds a very special place to his heart. But at the same time, he he has been very outspoken about politics and the fact that there are still a lot of people who are living in the past and hanging on to some conservative values that should have died a long time ago and he's kind of torn because he loves the state he loves so many things about it the fiberglass boats the azaleas in may the women the culture but there's also that part of it that he he really wishes would would die that he he doesn't really like to be a part of 
I like the first stanza too, where back to him using little things to try to place you in the moment. You've got this palmetto rose in the AC event, a cross-stitched pillow where the headrest went, so you, you already know you're in some vehicle, and it's old and fallen apart. They've replaced the headrest with a pillow, and uh, that left-hand jumping trees in the wind, you you get a feel that you're the, you're the driver, mm-hmm. and you got your hand out the window, and you're letting the wind catch underneath your fingers and and blow it puts you in that moment and then after that there's a there's a car crash and he thought he had the red lights memorized and then there's glass in the gravel as many as the stars in the sky mm-hmm. and i thought when this song started off okay here's going to be another long story and this is the beginning of it but it was more just a little a little lead into the life of somebody in this in the iodine state but I, I liked that transition into just more of a bigger picture uh, meaning rather than a, a story having a, a specific story to start it off. Yeah, definitely. There's an, another reference at the end of the song to that conflict of the South where he says out on Sullivan's Island, they're swimming on the beach where the big boats rolled in with the earliest slaves and their children, our first American kin. Here on King Street, we're selling our roses two for a five dollar bill and tonight after everything closes i'll follow my own free will and i've taken my fill i've taken my fill sort of that contrast or uh, realization that they're out there swimming having a good time enjoying their freedoms on the same beach that all these slaves rolled in on boat over the time period that our country was formed back in the day and that he still thinks about that dichotomy and that it's the place that he loves but also holds a lot of bad uh, memories that he's not fond of for obvious reasons it's a cool song this was another one that kind of grew on me after i understood the story better yeah same here i really liked it all right should we finish off the album yeah let's do it the last track track 11 is called to the band that i loved and somehow you When I still had nothing to say And how I miss you today May you find what you gave all that hope Somewhere down at the end of your road Now I know you'll be fine So that was the last track of the album to the band that I loved. What you think of that one, Shane? That was another great song. I think a lot of people assume this is a song about Jason Isbell's former band, the Drive-By Truckers, but it's not. He's spoken about it uh, before and has said that it's about fond remembrance of a band that he toured with when he was younger called Centromatic. He was with them in the mid-2000s. And... This is a reflection of him finding out that they were no longer a band and thinking about how he wishes they could find what they're looking for or that someday they would find their way and and be happy again. This is basically him being saddened by the fact that that band that he loves so much that means a lot to him in his early days is no longer together. Yeah, I read that too about it being about the band Centromatic. 
I had to dig in a little bit to find out some things. The lead singer of that band, Will Johnson, is who I assume he's referencing the most when he's saying you. Mm-hmm. He's also an artist that toured a little bit with Drive-By Truckers, so there is a connection there. And Will Johnson was also in some other super groups, the most noteworthy of which was a group called Undertow Orchestra, and it had some artists. Um, Connor Oberist is the main artist behind Bright Eyes. Mm-hmm. M. Ward, you've probably heard before with the band She and Him. Yeah. And lastly, David Bazan, who is the lead singer of Pater the Lion that I had oh, mentioned. That yeah, I nice got connection. To open for when I was young. So wow. it was interesting to read that there's a some some degrees of separation there. Yeah, he toured with this band during the time that he was with the truckers, but when the truckers were taking a break or not touring, he would join this band and play with them a little bit. There's a part in that song that I really like that says, and somehow you put down my fears on a page when I still had nothing to say, and how I miss you today. May you find what you gave all that hope somewhere down at the end of your rope. I think he's referring to the fact that he was still young and early in his career, and he was able to tour with these guys, and they had the ability to write songs that maybe depicted some of Jason's fears when he didn't really have the ability to say that or to put them on paper and to share that message himself, he was able to join a band that was already doing that. And that's probably why he feels so connected to them, along with probably becoming good friends. And when they decided to split up, it really hit home with him. And that's why he decided to write this song about it. Yeah, you get the feeling that this ignited something in him that made him realize this is what he wants to do. And it was a voice that he didn't quite have yet. Mm-hmm. that somebody else that was had, had been doing this a little bit longer did and it was a realization that he could he could do this too and that excitement of that i liked that line that said where he said i thought everyone like me was dead as he's listening to the lyrics that will johnson singing it made me think of that song am i the last of my kind mm-hmm. off of the nashville sound album yeah where he's wondering how many people are left Right. Think like I do, and, and this guy was, was one of them that maybe ushered yeah. him in at the beginning. Definitely. That's that's a great comparison. Musically, I thought this song was really cool, too. It's mostly a quieter song. It kind of reminded me a little bit of Children of Children, where at the very end, that solo guitar comes in that adds a little bit of bite to it. And I thought it was really fitting. It's different than that guitar in the children of children song that i was saying reminded me of kind of a crying baby this one is just like super dirty and it kind of has like this gritty angry sound to it um that i thought was really fitting for just feeling like his passion after realizing that this was something that he wanted to do i thought that was a really cool outro to the album is that energy of him carrying on after this and doing his own thing. I totally agree. Well, that's Jason Isbell's album, Something More Than Free. This was a great pick, Shane. Let me ask you, what was it that inspired you to pick this album? I really connected to this album. The, the 
biggest takeaway message I, I got from, from the, the album was life search for meaning and freedom, but not necessarily physical freedom or simply being free and having, having the freedom to do what you want, but something more than that, freedom from, from your past, from maybe troubled relationships or hard times, freedom from your thoughts that are in your head that are maybe holding you back or keeping you conflicted. There's definitely some hope and optimism in the songs, in the album as a whole as well, but a good portion of it is reflecting on the past and and trying to piece together or make sense out of the things that have happened to you and, and where you're at right now and where you want to go, whether that be Jason reflecting on his own personal experiences or those of friends and family members or maybe other people that he's met along the way but there's there's definitely a, a a common theme of 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 questioning and and challenging and trying to make sense of your identity who you are your purpose in this world and what you want to be doing with your life uh, going forward there's some elements of pain desire and guilt uh, there's also hope for the future and dreams of a better tomorrow of progress of of evolution as a as a person Back to your question, I chose the album because I knew that that it would be perfect for what we're trying to do here and and, uh, having a a platform to dissect lyrics of songs and dive into the construction of an album because Jason Isbell is such a good songwriter. But after going through it, I'm really glad that, that we did choose this one in particular instead of some of his other albums because there's a lot of great takeaway messages and and themes that led to some awesome discussion that we've had and some revelations in our our own lives and some connections that hopefully other people will will take away and listening to it as well and that maybe we've inspired them to to look at the album uh, from a different perspective so what, what were your overall thoughts on the on the album after dissecting it the way we have what are what are some messages that you'll take away and and uh what, what was the experience that you had as a listener Similar to you, this was an artist that we both knew somewhat. I think you knew his work a little bit better than me, but I knew he was a great writer, and the more I listened to this, the more I realized how good he is, and I enjoyed jumping into the words and finding the little hidden meanings and the stories and literary references. It made for a really fun couple weeks of listening, and then as we talked about earlier, those parts that are up for interpretation that allowed us to fill in some of our personal thoughts and feelings. It leaves you that ability to draw some personal meaning, and that's probably the part that was really fun, and you talked about it with our work and some of the connections that we might have with friends and family, and that's, to me, what made it a really special album and a really cool pick. I was going to ask you, if being a big Jason Isbell fan, if you wrestled with choosing one of his other ones and what maybe led you to choosing this one overall. I think I was drawn to this one right away because of the title of the album, for one, and knowing that the song collection would lend itself well to discussion, but also that album titled track, Something More Than More Than Free, that I knew I, I already related to um, really well. And then, and then also the track, Life You Chose, because those lyrics, that chorus has always stuck in my head. Uh, because I, I think a lot about whether I'm living the life that I've chose or or the one that uh, has been laid out for me that's maybe been chosen by, by somebody else. So I definitely wanted to dissect that song and talk about that a little bit, but I easily could have picked uh, Southeastern or, or even his latest 
the Nashville sound because they're both densely packed with really good songs and great lyrics as well that are, are very meaningful and, and uh, can connect to everyday life. So it was tough, but this was my gut and I went with it and I'm glad I did because it turned out to be a really good experience. Well, I'm glad you did too. I didn't have a opinion on what my favorite one is before grabbing this one, but I'll come out and say this is now my favorite after all the work that we've done on it. So I'm glad you picked it. Nice choice. Yeah, thanks. It was really fun for me too to dive into the lyrics and also pull up a lot of interviews right around the time that this album was released. There is one one more quote from an interview that I want to I want to leave you with to to kind of wrap this up because I feel like it really ties into what we're doing with this podcast and it it's fitting for where we're at in this process. This was in that same interview with Stereo Gum that I referenced earlier. The interviewer said, you as in Jason Isbell, I was reading an old interview with you in which you said, when you think of your listener, you envision an intelligent stranger. What would that listener take away from this record? Isbell said, I think it should be heard as a record of events because I'm trying to document a part of my life. The good thing about songwriting is you don't have to delineate between what's true and what's fiction. Records aren't put on the shelf that way. Books are, movies are, but records aren't. Even using untrustworthy narrators, something that I just flat out made up, I'm still attempting to explain the world to myself. I would hope that my ideal listener would come away with at least a little bit of insight and probably the enjoyment that you get from hearing machines being worked in the right way. Good sounds, they just make you feel good. If the lyrics make you stop and pause the song for a minute, like when you're reading a novel and you have to sit down and think about what you just read and digest it, then I think it's been done right. If that's the case, I think it's been done right for this album. I would totally agree. I had I had to stop and pause the song multiple times to think about the context and then rewind it a lot too, just because I wanted to hear it again because it was so good. Well, I'm sure that's going to continue as we carry on into next month, but it's been a fun journey so far. It really has. And we'll leave it there for today. Awesome. We'll catch up with you all next month. Until then, go listen to some good music. Right on. If you're enjoying listening to Album Divers, you can support our podcast by subscribing, reviewing, and sharing it with someone else that appreciates great music. Follow and connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Album Divers. We'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback about our take on an album that you already loved or had never heard before. Do you have an album you want us to dive into? Email us at albumdiverspodcast at gmail.com and we'll consider adding it to our queue for a future episode. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you never stop discovering music that moves you to dive deeper. Until next time.